Hey everybody, Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. Hope you're doing well. Please go to freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. Your show. This in particular, your show. First caller. How do you convince a small town to refuse government assistance? You know, town's getting on hard times, government's dangling money. Can you talk them out of taking it? It's a great question. We had a good jawbone about that. Second caller accused me of comparing God to a mythical unicorn. You can't prove either's existence, but he says that, look, God has perceivable effects on the world, but the unicorn does not. What were those perceivable effects? What was the argument? Stay tuned to find out. I enjoyed it. I thought it was very interesting. The third caller, mm, you ever have a problem with jealousy? Oh, just feeling like you're not enough and people are going to choose other people than you. I mean, I've heard there are other podcasts out there. I know you don't know anything about it, but hey, I've heard it. So this woman is consumed by jealousy. And we really, I think, got to some of the root causes of that in a very instructive and illustrative conversation. The fourth caller wanted to know what I thought of the general viewpoint. You know, the West is the villain. We're a cop uh, trying to finance the rebels, the moderate rebels, and, well, often turn out to be a pretty nasty group of individuals in places like Syria and Iraq, Yugoslavia, and so on. It's a great question, and uh, <laughs> I had a good rant about that one. And the fifth caller, this sounds like it's about the Syrian refugees, but it's really about a lot more than that. So people who are a lot, a lot less well-off than people in the Western world, when is it acceptable to allow or permit or stand idly by as people die in deplorable conditions? It's a great question and something we all wrestle with from time to time. Well, me perhaps a little bit more than most. So I hope you'll enjoy the show. I really did. Thanks, everyone, for calling in. Thanks, everyone, for supporting the show. And here we go. All right. Well, up first today, we have Matt. Matt wrote in and said, how do you convince a small town that is coming on hard times to refuse government assistance, especially since Detroit is a possibility, not an inevitability? More directly, how do you convince a laid-off coal miner trying to make ends meet for his children to use free enterprise to better his lot when there's a politician ready to say, give me power and I'll take money from the city and give it to you, especially if the future looks bleak to said coal miner? This comes from my anecdotal evidence that leftists hate guns until an armed right-winger saves their life from a mugger, and right-wingers hate government until a left-winger gives them government drip-drip-drip to tide them and their family over in a crisis. That's from Matt. Oh, hey, Matt. So how's it going tonight? I, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. So, <laughs> Well, can, can you give me a bit more information, you say, since Detroit <clears throat> is a possibility? What do you mean? Well, so, so in the city where I live, um, we, we got a Democratic mayor after having like a, a bunch of long train of Republicans for as far back as I can remember. The Democrat mayor has been kind of, I think, in power for about four or six years. And I guess it takes a long, longer time than that. But our city has just gone just higher quality of living. It looks better. Property value is going up. We have a lot of business coming in. We, we actually have a bunch of people moving in from the capital to us. We used to be like some podunk, so it's almost like California moving to Texas almost. Um, and it's kind of hard for me to say, no, 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 this is going to be a very bad idea in the long run when it, everything just looks so much better than it did like 10 years ago under our Republican mayor. And the, the coal miner thing, I was just thinking about the Rust Belt in Ohio and just 
all those people laid off of jobs under Obama and what do you say to them? It's like, no, we're not going to put tariffs on stuff. Just so, so what? I mean, they're just going to vote in somebody who will put on tariffs so they can, they can get something so they can feed their family. Don't have to work as hard. I mean, I don't know. No, it's a, it's a tough call and it's a, it's a tough question without a doubt. There's no, obviously there's no easy answer. Otherwise, you know, hopefully nobody calls me in because calls in here because there are easy answers. But it's interesting because I, I'm, I'm half and half on this, genuinely ambivalent about this. Should we try to make things better or should we try to make things worse? Um, should should well, we say to everyone, sure, go on all the legal, legitimate government welfare you can. <laughs> Enough of this paying, you know, enough of this working for a living, you know, like if, you're, if you've got a sore back, go on to like... Do, do we want a crash and a reboot? Do we think that it can be turned around? I mean, I'm telling tell you, I'll be perfectly frank with you. Like, I'm, I'm ambivalent. I'm, I'm, I can see, I can see down both tunnels. If that makes any sense. Yeah, just because I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm running as a socialist. <laughs> Problem we have here is we don't have enough government spending. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, t- taxes are just like rain. They'll just keep coming in. So, And, and the way that I'm going to do it is I'm, I'm just going to um, I'm going to find sad people uh, who've made bad decisions, and I'm just going to promote sad-eyed people with dark circles under their eyes living in shacks and, until all the female voters have a collective socialism <laughs> orgasm and just vote for them to be given money so that their eggs feel better. Uh, you know, like, I mean, I... Let's yeah. let's just let's just you know hit the gas. <laughs> enough of this coasting. Enough of this trying to turn it around. Let's just hit the gas because then when it all goes to crap in a handbasket, well, then we can reboot. Right, something like that. Because I was watching a, a Stossel video just yesterday. I mean, it's several months old, but this guy, this, this individual, saw the homeless people on his street in L.A. and he said, "I'm going to do something about it." And so he crowdfunded. A bunch of uh, tiny homes that cost like a thousand dollars each and had a lot of amenities that would just help these poor people who were living on the street some of them could only get in tents and he just helped them and it provided so much hope and then the day the morning that the city was meeting to discuss their one or two billion dollar end homelessness plan the city came in confiscated all the homes that they could to to have them be destroyed Oh yeah, no question. Yeah, it it just <laughs> it's like so. If you try to encourage people to tr- to take care of their city and open a business or do something, the really unscrupulous people say, "No, none of this, none of this. You have to be help from the government, not from individuals." It's just it's almost like a t- like a tar pits. You just can't get out, no matter how hard you struggle. <laughs> Well, you know, here's here's an interesting little story. You know, people in Canada have probably heard this. <laughs> but if you haven't, hang on to your gonads. Mm-hmm. So in a suburb of Toronto, there's, there was a um, a community park, and it had a very, <clears throat> a very steep, I guess, uh, slippery, grassy kind of way down, and, and people kept slipping and falling down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the past, you know, Amish-style people would have just said, okay, let's go build some stairs. 
Oh, okay. You know, I mean, that, that's what people yeah. would do if there was such a thing as community left after an endless wave of diversity have shattered everyone's capacity to step outside of their front doors without bulletproof vests, culturally, mm-hmm. I mean. And so they, but now what they do, they phone the city and the city says, well, we'll look into it, right? City comes back and says, okay, well, we've looked into it. Of course, this takes forever. Another couple of people fall down the stairs, <laughs> uh, fall, fall down the slope. And the city comes back and say, okay. We have, uh, we figured it out. What you need here, what you need is a set of stairs. They're like, ooh, <laughs> no way we could have figured that out for ourselves. Thank you, oh, wise city magistrates. And they say, yeah, and you know what? We can get this done, I don't know, at some point in the future. And it's going to cost between $65,000 to maybe about $150,000. To, to build some some stairs, right? <laughs> and this guy, I mean, is this a, a golden lame escalator that travels through time? And what the fuck are you spending $65,000 to $150,000 for a couple of stairs? So one guy, he's retired. He's a mechanic. Yeah. And he's like, ah, you know, I don't really want to wait. That's a lot of tax money. So forget it. He went out. He hired a homeless guy. Some neighbors chipped in. He built the set of stairs that was needed in an afternoon. Do you know how much for? Probably about $2,000 just for materials, I'm guessing. 550 bucks. Wow. Okay. $550 and it was done. Boom. And a homeless guy got a job for a while, right? Yeah. And do you know what the city said? You have to remove them and resod it. You can't do that. You must tear it down. And like, oh man, fuck. I mean, just this world we're living in. I need some stairs. It's going to take forever, and it's going to cost basically the price of, I don't know, what does it that costs one hundred and fifty thousand dollars? I have no idea. Like a a condo Small home down uh, here. Yeah. 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 It, I just need some stairs so people don't stop doing that weebles wobble down the. Slippery slide. I think, here we go. Hired a homeless guy. Did it for myself. 550 bucks. No cost to the taxpayer. Boom. Done. No. You can't do that. You must take it down. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. These people are like the the city people? Psychos. Like, what kind of sick person do you... Well, you got to tear it down and more people got to fall down the stairs because I don't know what. I promised my brother-in-law I'd pay him 100,000 bucks to nail some planks together. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, you can get people crucified for less. Sorry? Yeah, I mean, if it's supposed to be public property, like we all own it, and if it's a community project, then in theory, if the public owns it, then the public, independent of the government, should be able to fix this problem. But no, apparently not. Mayor John Tory acknowledged that the city estimate sounds, quote, completely out of whack with reality. However, he says, well, that still doesn't justify allowing private citizens to bypass city bylaws to build public structures themselves. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, just, you can't make this stuff up it's just <laughs> mad it's i mean it's absolutely insane. And, and what does this teach people about you know hey go hire a homeless guy get some neighbors help you out build this thing have a couple of beers it's really nice you get to know your neighbors you're solving things as a community no shut it down yeah it just what kind of, like we never we never get out of junior high school. We never get out of primary school. No, you can't do. Did you hear like there was some place? I think it was in 
this little kid, little kid running a lemonade stand. She's like five. Oh, yeah. Her parents got yeah. hit with what, $150 fine or something like that. And she's like, yeah, I, I hate, one. I hate that that happened to that little girl. But don't worry, when she grows up, she's going to be woke as fuck. She's like not going to be like, hey, you know where we should go if we've got a problem? Let's go hit up the state for a nice solution. Like, oh, yeah, I remember my first my first encounter with the state was when I was trying to cool people's parched throats on my front lawn for a quarter a sip. The city came, shut me down and find the living crap out of my parents. Your child is experiencing anything to do with the free market. Crush it. And the real and the real sad thing is that that was on their property. So technically, they should have all right to do it. But no, like how much how much of these tentacles have they just got into us? Oh, it doesn't like, matter. I, I mean, it doesn't matter. They, this kind of power corrupts everyone. <sighs> this kind yeah. of power corrupts everyone. It is. Um, and, and what does this mean about initiative? Like, well, what does this mean about I, I'm going to go solve a problem myself? I mean, it may, it makes it just. You give up the initiative, you have to go to the government or do it in by the proper bureaucratic channels. Well, it's not going to get done. It's going to be crap. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, it's going to be ridiculously expensive. And, and where's all? Like, it's 550 bucks to do it. Yeah. And, I mean, that's materials. I mean, I guess a retired guy didn't. But people are willing to do it for free, but you can't do it. Why? Because you want to have all this money to spread around to your friends. Right. $65,000. <laughs> to build some stairs boy i i sure wish you guys had been around to rebuild london after the great wood fire of 1666 you'd still be working the foundations of the second fucking house (laughs) yeah where were you when civilization needed building we were in the way i'm sorry i'm sorry sir you cannot leave this cave until you fill out all these forms in triplicate and give me 17 caribou heads by tomorrow Okay, I guess we'll stay in the fucking cave then. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's better in there. You get to pretend the shadows are real. So, I mean, as far as like refusing government assistance. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this, because this is a question been rolling around in my head for a while. So let me ask you this, Matt. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you and I are workers in a Soviet factory like in 1952, and we're making ladders, like we're making you know, crap boxcars that they made. Yeah. You had to have a remote starter because half the time it would just explode. <laughs> let's test it oh, from gosh. a distance. And let's say that, that I'm kind of economically responding to the incentives of it doesn't matter whether I work or not. You know the old saying in Russia, they pretend to pay us and we pretend to work. Uh-huh. Uh, so you're in this communist system. Nobody wants to do any work. Nobody cares. And how, how are you going to get, how are you going to convince me to work harder to to stay late to finish the job to give give it my all and the market's going to do that easily you get to keep your job you get a raise you get like the market's going to do that no problem if you don't work and you're lazy then you're going to get fired so the market takes care of that no problem right but how are you going to convince me to work harder in a communist model well um i've been thinking about that and my salute my idea is um, so there, there are kind of these sort of meta currencies. One, you have like gold or fiat or Bitcoin or whatever. And then another one is, of course, violence, where you just the, – the people who have bigger army diplomacy have their way. And another one, which I guess is a bit more fluctuate, I, I call it goodwill. And it's kind of – and it's, you can think of it as trust or whatever, but it's the thing that keeps families together. I mean, why does a husband and a wife do – 
do anything like as opposed to competing against each other or whatever. It's because the one of them does one thing and kind of has an investment of goodwill or whatever, and the other one sees that the goodwill is valuable, so they do it that way. I don't think it's a little conscious, conscious, but it's I, I think it's useful, and that seems to work until you can't really keep track of how many people there are. Like, there's more than 100 people. I mean, what what value is your goodwill or their goodwill? They ain't going to return it. So, Okay, you are doing a very me. terrible job of explaining to me why I need to work harder at a Soviet factory. Yeah, well, when you, so the idea is, in that specific way, if I'm trying to convince you, basically it comes down to buying your goodwill through favors. Or things that you can okay, know tell, you can tell me, in. like, pretend that you're just trying to give me this talk at lunchtime. Steph, I've noticed you've been slacking off. What are you going to say to me? <sighs> I mean, without invoking any free market principles on Well, we are in <laughs> communism, so that's going to be a challenge. So what are you going to yes. say? Um, <sighs> we either do it together or... We bo- or we have to, we we're going to agree to go like a Blood Brothers death pact, or we're wait, going wait, to what escape you, together. What's this Blood just... Brothers death pact that you're talking about? <laughs> we either both do it, or we're both going to kill each other. <laughs> I, I don't. Wait, are you saying just like you'll kill me if I don't work harder? <laughs> I guess that's an incentive of a kind, or, but... or vice versa, something like that. Or we, well, if we don't do it, we'll both kill each other so that they don't pack us up and kill us at the Lubyanka basement in front of a wall. I guess. All right. So given that making death threats, I'm sure, was still pretty illegal even in Soviet Russia, what would you say if you wanted me to work harder? I suppose I would invoke some sort of familial bond or some sort of... Well, what if we don't have a familial bond? Well, like a national bond, like we are brothers in this in this commun- commune. We are we have to work hard, and I, I mean, I'm not going to believe it, but that's the only thing I can really think of to say that would have some uh, probability of working. I suppose, like being successful. Do you think like, it would? Uh, do you think it would work? Probably not. But I mean, I can't really think of anything that. I mean, because in some ways, there are some people who will volunteer to go and fight in the military right. across seas. So. It might work. I mean, that that one person could be Boxer from Animal Farm, and they're like, you know what? He's right. I need to work harder. And of course, the other, <laughs> right? One, like, so right. So you can't really think of a way to get me to work harder in a Soviet system, right? It's, if it's still communist, right? Right. There has to be some sort of micro type of, uh, I don't know, communist. Like, I secretly pay you under the table or something, right? Okay, so you see the problem, right? Right. You see the problem, right? Yep. You can fix it. <laughs> okay, so... So what did, how did they end up having to fix communism? It imploded. And it just imploded sometime in the 80s, I guess. I don't know if it fell when the wall fell but uh, it definitely just yeah it all it all just fell apart the entire system nuked itself and then you had to pick up the pieces and rebuild from scratch i think they they had to have a hard reset right let's put it that way (laughs) it's a good way to put it i suppose right i mean you know now of course trump the idea behind trump is to have a soft reset right right is is to try and find some way 
that we can bring this thing down with the landing wheels down, right? Mm-hmm. On, on, on something relatively soft rather than into the side of the mountain, fireball of end times economic self-immolation, right? Right, because the debt right now is enormous, but because our GDP is enormous, it's not imminent as like it's going to be next year or the year before, but it's still within our lifetime at this rate. And that's just going to be yeah, awful. Yeah, I mean, GDP just, uh, what is it, top 19 trillion? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, actually, I don't remember what the ratio is. I think, I think it just went, I mean, last time I checked was 15 or whatever, but I think it just went to 19 trillion. And again, GDP is one of these numbers, you know, people get sick, you're wealthier, you know, but, you know, it is, mm-hmm. you know, not completely outside the bounds. So with communism, there was no way to talk people into changing their responses to economic incentives. And I don't know any way that you can do that. I mean, listen, I've been trying for over 30 years. Yeah. Right? And I've never successfully been able to talk someone out of, like, a government benefit. And and I don't mean it's impossible. I think that there are some people you can, like, if, if they're, let me put it this way. There well, are actually, people, like, there are people who've been, actually, when I was younger, right, there were people who were like, they were on unemployment insurance, and I talked to them about, you know, this isn't a good idea. And eventually they'd get off it, but that's because they were smart people who wanted to do more with their life, right? Right. I mean, if you're talking about like an IQ 85 single mom with three kids by three different guys, all of whom are in prison, and you say, hey, those government programs are not good for the economic viability of your kids in the long run, it's like, well, that's true, but it's really not very high on the list of the hardships those kids are going through, right? Correct. So, I don't know. I mean, philosophically speaking, saying to someone, don't take this program, Mm -hmm. you can, you can put this to the test, right? Yeah. You can, you have a convenience store nearby? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, at that convenience store, they sell lottery tickets, right? Right. Now, up to a certain amount, up to a certain dollar amount, those lottery tickets are processed right there at the convenience store, right? Uh, yes. Like, you're a winner. Gagnon. <laughs> right? I mean, and so, <laughs> yeah. so what you can do is you can, you can hang out at the grocery store pretending to shop or shopping for real if you want. Mm-hmm. And then when you hear that ding, 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 you're a winner, right? You can go up to the person playing the lottery ticket and you can say, you know, if you cash in that lottery ticket, you're basically just guaranteeing yourself higher taxes and everyone else higher taxes, right? So you should just, <laughs> you should just tear up that lottery ticket and you should throw it in the garbage. Because it's, you know, it's, it's not really good for you in the long run, right? And what do you think will happen? They're probably just going to look at you funny. Because even if you kind of bring up the actual reality that, well, within a year or two, it's going to make you poor because you don't know how to manage your own <laughs> right. money. They're going to be like, don't you tell me how to spend my money? And then they're just going to go out and be miserable in a year or two. Oh, yeah. I'd love to get divorced. I'd love, I'd love for all my friends to end up looking at me as a big giant ATM rather than a human being with feelings. That would be, I'd love, I'd love for every loser brother-in-law I ever had to come to me with some crazy cockeyed business idea about flying helmet heads and, and <laughs> demand that I invest. And I'd love everyone to say, well, if you really cared about me, you'd pay off my mortgage and using me as a giant livestock for the lower class. Oh, beautiful. That would be excellent. I'd love never knowing if anyone liked me again in the future for myself. Excellent. I don't know. Yeah. Men yeah, in the lottery, women get artificial tits. What can I tell you? We all want to up our value in ways that are really, really bad for us. 
Yeah, and that's and that's part of human nature because. I actually kind of won the lottery in a video game, in a multiplayer video game, and the amount of money that I won was like, I don't know, about $350. And just every single person in my clan and my guild were basically reacting as if I'd actually won the lottery. And they were asking me for money. Some of them were resentful. Some of them were just kind of grumbling or whatever. I think only one person was actually genuinely happy that I essentially won the lottery. And... If that's if that's what happens with some with such a small amount of money of three hundred and fifty dollars in a game, I, I can't imagine that kind of thing changing any significance. Just for if anything bigger. Yeah, I mean, I um, I kind of had to updo my uh, update my photos because my promo photos are for like fifteen years, and I don't want to be one of these like, you know, the real estate agents. It's like. Here's my picture when I was a cheerleader in high school on a park bench, you know, and then you actually meet them in the flesh. It's like, whoa, when did yeah, Jabba right. the Hutt eat the cheerleader and assume her job? Uh, and so I got, and, and I was talking to the photographers and they know uh, a lot of people and, and they were saying, I won't give the names of the superstars, but they say they know photographers who work with these, these rock stars and so on. And they're all completely miserable people. Miserable. Mm-hmm miserable people you can be a star and of course you know the public persona you see them on stage big powerful marching around singing and playing guitar and all of that but privately and their lives are just a complete mess and uh yeah so we all you know everybody says they want that stuff and you know nothing brings out the mean in people like random good fortune striking someone they know hey man why wasn't that me yeah really now i feel bad because you're doing well Mm -hmm. you know it's what's that old gore i think it's gore vidal who said this it is not enough that we do well. Our friends must also do badly. <laughs> kind of nihilistic, but, but true in a lot of ways. So you can go to people and you can say what? You can say, well, you have the option of getting free money and staying in your home and your community and, and keeping your house and all of that. Or what you can do is you can say no to that free money. You can leave house, leave town leave your community, leave your friends, move your kids to another school somewhere far away, try and get jobs there. Like, I I know, I know, I know, and I've, I, I talked about this on Alex Jones recently, and I'm cognizant of that. I think that there is a case to be made, but the case is really hard to make when there's money dangling right in front of someone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, money is, money is one of those things that's just ubiquitous. Everybody wants it, and no one can get enough of it. Well, and asking people who have a job and pay taxes to say, you know, there was this old, it was a libertarian offer, the great libertarian offer from the late Harry Brown. And he said, would you give up your favorite government program if it meant you never had to pay income tax again for the rest of your life? Now, of course, if you are in fact paying income taxes, which is surprisingly not large amount of Americans are paying, if you are actually paying income taxes, that means something to you. If you're one of the 20% of American households where 0% of the adults in the household are working, it's still blows mm-hmm. my mind, then, yeah. you know, well, you'll never get to have to pay. I don't pay income tax right now. So, so I think that there is a case to be made. I don't know that it, if you're going to make that case, and I think the case should be made. If you're going to make that case, I wouldn't make it to a town where the economy is bad and and government money is dangling right in front of people and so on, that's Mm kind of tough. You know, like it's, if you want your friend to quit cocaine, you know, take him on a hike, you know, take him someplace beautiful and natural 
And when you're at the top of the sparkling glacier, gazing out upon the powdery snow dust, actually, that probably is not the best environment for somebody who's hooked on cocaine. Because, you know, I think the entire mountain is covered with cocaine. Take him to a jungle. Yes, that's it. Take him to a jungle. <laughs> Everything's trying to kill him in the jungle. Yeah. Now, now, take him to the jungle where there are these cute frogs. I know he'll probably try and lick the hallucinogenic frogs. Hang on. Okay, wait, wait. Take him spelunking. Take him, take him to a cave. Take but then him he'll deep. eat all the glowing mushrooms. No, no, deeper. Pass the mushrooms. Pass the mushrooms. Pass the mushrooms. Take him down deep into the caverns and light it up so he sees all of the gems. Oh, no, that's sparkly. That's going to remind him. But take him someplace, right? Take him someplace natural and beautiful. A calm, yeah. clear lake in the mountains with evergreens around. I think that's probably. And, and then you talk to him about cocaine addiction and you talk to him about how concerned you are and you talked about uh, how things are going to go if he doesn't uh, break his addiction and so on. So that's one thing, you know, when the guy's been waiting all week jonesing to suck up cocaine off a hooker's cleavage, you know, and then said hooker is right in front of him and her boobs are covered in cocaine and, and he's got the straw and, and he's ready to go down and, and saying, hey, man, I think you should rethink your cocaine addiction. It's like, <laughs> I think yeah. a lot of it has to do with the timing. A lot of it has to do with the environment. So when people are desperately in need saying... You know, I'll make a case for privatizing medicine, but not to someone who just got diagnosed with cancer or something. You know what I mean? Because like, then it's just like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> you know, I, I don't have the money. So yeah. I think there is a case to be made, but I'm not sure you can make it to people desperately in need. That's why I think making it on the Internet and giving people the ammunition and so on. But I, you know, I'm still, I'm ambivalent. You know, I want to always want to be honest with, with you guys. I'm ambivalent about whether, I don't, I don't know if we can genuinely talk people. I don't know if there's an example, like in a communist country, of a factory that became really productive because some charismatic guy told everyone to shape up and, sh and get working. I don't know. It's really, I mean, really tough to swim against the current of bad yeah. economic incentives. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess you could just start, like, with a, relatively prosperous city like mine and just because here's an example so on the there's a public walkway it's right next to the river it is gorgeous there's a lot of art it's just it's well kept relatively speaking and uh, at one end there's a rock creek uh place where you can rent all this equipment and one of the things in the city is a public biking so you have a bike rack and they're owned by the city and you swipe your credit card and you can just bike down the place well that sounds good in theory but the bikes look good and that's it they, they suck they're, they have poor maneuverability. They're just really heavy. They're really cumbersome. They're just stupid. And guess what? Rock Creek rents bikes. You can rent a bike from Rock Creek that's literally 10 yards away from the closest thing. And it's just wasting tax money there. And you can point to that and say, yeah, that's a really bad idea. And you can do that in a prosperous city i suppose like ours and say you know what maybe we should stop doing this because this is just wasting money and they suck anyway so let's just go with rock creek right yeah no it's um it, it is a tough question I, I i'm forever going to make the arguments because either you can change people's minds and i'll make the arguments as sort of passionately and positively as i can mattis i'm sure you will as well so either you're going to be able to yeah. change people's minds or you won't now, if you can change people's minds, fantastic, we can turn this thing around. If we can't change people's minds, then you'll just dead. have been proven right the whole way along, and you'll gain credibility from having been right and predicted it all. You know, that, I guess that's, that is true. Yeah, e either way, it's worth making the case. But I don't know whether I'm making the case to turn things around or whether I'm making the case 
because I just want to have the credibility of being tragically right about everything all along. Yeah, Bill Whittle was making something about that, and uh, I, I, the way he put it, it, I don't think it's a very good consolation prize to say, I was right all along while you're all eating uh, spitted rats around a dumpster fire with a tire to keep it warm in the, in the winter because uh, civilizations collapsed or whatever. I don't think, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I, you know, communications technology and the, the thirst of the ruling elites for more resources, I think is, at least in the West, we have, I think, a pretty good shot of, you know, it's not going to be like, you know, hunting squirrels in, in the sewers or anything like that, trying to catch a sure. seagull with a rotted net or something. I, I think that um, as as the West, if we can't do anything to rein in the spending or or reduce the unfunded liabilities, if people aren't willing to accept any suffering, mm -hmm. if old people are just, you know, you say, listen, there's no money available for your pensions, it's going to have to be reduced. And if they're like, no, damn it, we're going to vote someone in who's going to get us all this money. And, and you say, well, is it is yeah. it the fault of the 18-year-old who just graduated? I mean, he wasn't even alive when these you voted for all this stuff. I mean, and they're like, well, the government promised us. It's like, yeah, but... You know the government lies all the time. All the time, the government promises. You know, it's like, hey man, that hooker told me she totally told me she'd get the money back. You know, she totally told. <laughs> I lent a thousand dollars to that hooker in the car, and she totally said she was going to get it back to me. So, yeah. So that's an asset, right? It's like, no, it's really not. In fact, you now have more of a liability in that. Not only did you give the hooker the money, but also now you think it's coming back, which means you're not only broke, but you're dumb as well. And so they say, well, the government gives it's like, it's not, it's not the fault of the kids. Like it, it's, no. it's not the fault of the kids. And if old people say, or, you know, the military industrial complex or corporations and lots of different, right? If the old people or whoever is like, well, sorry, we're going to have to means test old age pensions. No, it's like, well, then, okay. If we can't convince them that they're that selfish and vampirical, well, Oh, that irresponsible, that unwilling to take personal responsibility and accountability, then it's going to be like, okay, well, um, I guess uh, if we can't find a peaceful solution, then instead of it being a managed collapse, it's going to be a sudden collapse, which means instead of getting some of the money, you'll end up with none of the money. Um, yeah. And people that selfish, I mean, I don't know. Nature, nature has a way of working with people like that, if that makes any sense. So yeah. I think we just got to keep putting the arguments out. Um, I was thinking about uh, a way. I'm not sure how easy this would be to uh, implement, but just kind of a, a full hard stop. Like anybody born after 2018, January 1st, they do, they can't benefit from welfare. Like. Hmm. Like just yeah, because I mean, all the people certain, are alive. Yeah, can, there's a certain value yeah. in that for sure. But the problem is, is that creates a huge amount of problems for politicians in the moment. But it's politicians like 20 years later who are going to start seeing the benefits. So again, if you look at the e economic incentives, apply as much to politics as anything else. So politicians well, will push that. Maybe people will think about it, but they'll get a huge amount of backlash. Well, and wait a minute. Why would they get? Why would they get backlash? Because you're not taking it away from anybody who's alive and the people who are really just clinging to it, like you said, were selfish. So what do they care if some some weird just baby or whatever is going to not going to have a pension, is going to have to work for a living in 15 years, 20 years or whatever? I mean, how is that uh, going to be a backlash? 
well, because there are generations of people on welfare who have kids, not just for the benefits they get for those kids, but because those kids are going to grow up and also be unemployed and get welfare and they're going to contribute to the pot. So there's that kind of incentive. Yeah, that's, that's, a, yeah, that's a good point. And also, if you just if you say collecting welfare is wrong and we need to change it, then there's a lot of defensive neuroses that come out from people, existing people on welfare. Are you saying that there are... And so, and there's just this general principle. The left will go nuts on you because the oh, left yeah. needs the people on welfare to vote for bigger government, right? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's like trying to control immigration or like you, you, the left goes nuts because they need the third world immigrants to vote for the left and trying to control um, welfare is crazy because when you go from consuming the products of the tax system to have being forced to contribute to it, you automatically become a conservative, right? You yeah, automatically exactly. want lower taxes <laughs> if you are in fact paying taxes, and you right. can say to people, like, you can say, look, it doesn't make it. This makes no sense. You tax people enormously. You tax corporations enormously. You tax everything they touch to do what? To move money to the poor. But this makes no sense because everything you tax, you increase the price of it. Corporations in America paying like 40% tax, they have to raise the price of the goods they sell enormously. Everybody who uh, is being taxed a lot has to raise their salary demands because they're forced to live on the leftovers, what's left over after the tax uh, bandits uh, finish up their job. And so you're driving up the prices of everything, which makes things much harder for the poor to uh, afford. So you're taking all this money and giving it to the poor so they can afford the things which they could otherwise have afforded if you hadn't taken all this money to give to the poor. Anyway, so, I mean, I think yeah. my final point is we have to keep making the case, but um, whether we're making it to change people's minds or whether we're doing it to be right in the long run, not in a sort of, eh, I was right, nah, 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 but just you get credibility if you predicted uh, things. You know, everyone thought Churchill was crazy in the 1930s, and then he became prime minister, right, because he had yeah. been right. And Peter Schiff, you know, talked a lot about uh, problems in the housing market and so on. So, And to move on to the next caller, but I appreciate the conversation. I hope this was somewhat right, helpful. Yeah. I wish I could oh, give you yeah, a simple it's... answer. but Yeah, well, thank you very much. Thanks, man. Okay, up next we have Tennis. Tennis wrote in and said, You've compared God to a mythical unicorn, in that the inability to empirically prove either his existence is a sign of non-existence. The difference, however, is that God has a perceivable effect on the world and a unicorn does not. Love, courage, and beauty are chief examples that go beyond our biological cues and speak to something greater than nature. In the case of UPB, for behavior to be preferable, that means that there is behavior that is not preferable. But in nature, there's no such thing as preferable or not preferable. Just whether or not urges are satisfied and reproduction takes place. Doesn't our ability to discern between what is moral and immoral in the society and in ourselves speak to the effect that God has on our world versus the non-existence of a unicorn? That's from Tennis. Oh, hey, Tennis. How you doing? Good, Stefan. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, you're going to have to boil something down to a question because uh, I, I could extract right. a bunch from what you said, but I want to make sure we're hitting your major issues. Right. Um, so I guess my uh, main part of my question is that um, in nature, when kind of the main tenet of evolution is survival of the fittest, um, which is gaining resources and looking at how I can reproduce. And even if that's taking resources from somebody else, um, I guess they would be better off in my hands because – uh, that person that I took them from wasn't able to hold on to them. Um, when you have that as being, you know, f kind of the first and foremost thing in nature, um, but then we have this moral code and UPB, um, and that seems to be kind of a contradiction against nature. So I was, my main question is, you know, I, I see that as kind of an effect of God um, and something that we can see 
uh, versus, you know, like a unicorn where that obviously doesn't exist and we have no you know proof of that um, in an effect in our world. Still not sure what the question is, though. Right. Um, I'm I not trying to be difficult. Like I, I right. I'm not trying to be difficult. I told right. the that I'd be as honest as they can be. Of course. Um, I guess uh, just being able to see an effect um, that is outside of nature and claiming that that effect is of God versus something like a unicorn, which has no effect. Um, I guess so things that are outside of nature that I see can't really be explained by um, just evolutionary practices um, versus something that really doesn't have any kind of um, effect uh, in this world. And what is the effect of nature that you see as coming from, oh, sorry, what is the effect that you see coming from outside nature? Right. Well, I would, I would say that a moral code, I would say that our ability to logic, we use logic and reason, um, and like, like you did with, with UPB, um, and create a moral code straight out of logic and reason and to be able to have the faculties to enact that, um, when those kind of moral decisions sometimes goes against nature and goes against our natural urges. Um, I don't see how the two can exist from the same source being just nature, being just evolution. So is your argument that my capacity to reason is proof of God? Your capacity to reason a moral code and our ability to enact the moral code when it goes against our natural urges, yes. And making that statement is not making an argument, right? Like say, um, saying I, that me reasoning out UPB is a sign of the existence of God is not the same as making an argument. I think it's making an argument against, um, I guess it'd be a counter argument against the argument that there is no God. Okay. And so if you'd like to make that argument, I'd, I'd like to hear it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my counter argument to there is no God is that we see, I, at least my argument is that we can see effects, um, such as the ability to reason and use logic to find a moral code, um, and to enact that moral code using courage, using virtue, um, instead of falling prey to our baser instincts, um, our natural instincts that have evolved over a course of time, um, our ability to choose a moral code um, and to choose morals and virtue. Um, so, sorry, do you mean that something like free will and a conscience is not something that arises out of nature, and therefore that's an argument for the existence of God? I would say a conscience. I would say uh, free will um, would be something that could arise from nature, but I think a conscience to choose certain things over other things, um, and in regards to a moral, um, and in, in regards to moral standards, I, I would say yes. Do you think that human beings are the only animals in nature who have the capacity to act against their immediate desires? Um, I, I would say yes. I, I but you, say do, yes. you you do know that there are lots of animal species wherein the parents will feed their offspring before themselves, right? Yes, but that that still fits into an evolutionary uh, mindset of, of reproduction and, and making sure that the the offspring have a chance to survive. That that speaks to survival. No, no, I understand. I understand that. I understand that. Right. But they certainly are acting against their own immediate preferences, right? Yes. Okay. Well, it, it depends what your immediate preference is. If your immediate preference is to feed your offspring, um, then then no. But you know, I guess for yourself, for your own self, um, then yes. There are, of course, dogs who will save species outside their own. Uh, there are birds who will raise 
cuckoos that aren't laid in their own nest and so on. But, you know, you could, of course, always say, well, whatever the animals do is part of their instincts and so on. I would certainly grant right. to you that, that human beings are unique in the universe, yeah. to our knowledge, with the capacity to have, you know, as I talk about free will, the capacity to compare proposed actions to ideal standards. This is the only, we're the only species we know who can, uh, who can do that. But I don't know how that's proof of a god. I mean, so so there are lots of, I mean, there are animals that have unique characteristics throughout nature. Not all of those unique characteristics are evidence for a deity, right? And the fact that we have a unique right. characteristic called conceptual abilities and free will and so on doesn't, to me, necessarily mean that there's a, a god. Right. Um, okay. Um, I would say that uh, in regards to animals, I know you can you um, make the comparison of consciousness to that's just a product of our of our of our matter right of our brain matter um, and you make the comparison that a light source um, you know in it, in the presence of a light source there's always light and in the presence of matter there's always gravity uh, or mass sorry and there's always gravity but I would say that in the presence of brain matter um, that's not always the case with consciousness as far as animals are concerned um, I would say we are the obviously the very unique example of that where um, consciousness is the product of brain matter versus the millions of examples that we have that that is not the case. Um, I would say that that uniqueness is something that I don't think can just be explained away with, well, we're just different or we're just unique, um, but we're still, we're from the same source. We evolve from the same source as far as mammals are concerned. Um, I what, find that what, hard what, to just so explain you say away. Explained away. I mean, it's not an argument or a rebuttal, but to tennis, how does, um, how does God explain anything? If you say, well, we get our conscience and our free will and our reasoning abilities and so on from God, can you explain to me how God does it or the nature of God? How, when it comes to philosophy, when people say, well, evolution doesn't explain everything, therefore God, what does God explain? Right. Well, I think, I think the, the, the argument is that if nature cannot explain this, if it can't explain consciousness in a way that is suitable, then you could say that um, that there would be an outside source for that. No, um, no. Listen, come on. I mean, you you understand that you stand in in opposition to the pattern of history, the the the, the progress of history. You know, there were times when people did not know what the tide was, so they said the tide was a god moving in the ocean. There were times when people said they had no idea why a volcano erupted. Oh, there's a volcano god. They had no idea why lightning streaked from the sky, so they invented Thor with his hammer of lightning, and they said this Thor is having a battle with the giants, right? The history of human beings ascribing divine, quote, solutions to fairly mundane physical phenomena that are impressive but incomprehensible at the time, I mean, that is human history. So the idea that there's something new saying, well, look, right here at the edge of what we understand, there's stuff beyond the edge of what we understand, therefore God, has been going on ever since human beings couldn't figure out the first thing. Like the moment we developed curiosity and, and we wanted to understand the world, we said, okay, well, the things we understand, we understand. The things we don't understand yet, there were a lot of people saying, well, everything we don't understand is God. This has been going on forever. And what's interesting to me is that they used to be moon gods. The, the stars were considered to be gods. What was on top of the mountains, wreathed in the clouds? You know, Olympus was supposed to be on a mountaintop, wreathed in the clouds. Got up to the mountaintop, no Mount Olympus. Figured out what the moon was, no gods. Figured out what the star was, no gods, right? So this idea right. that you're doing something unique or new 
by surfing the edge of human knowledge and saying, well, beyond the edge of human knowledge, that's where God is. It's been going on since the beginning of human conscience, uh, consciousness. But the God, the God right. doesn't explain anything. Well, it's some unknowable being for some incomprehensible reasons created X in some unfathomable manner. God is just this big, you know, bookmark for we don't know. And I think the more honest thing to say is we don't know. Like, I don't know how human consciousness operates. And I'm willing to say, I don't know how human consciousness operates. That's a wonderful thing. Because it means it's worth exploring. I don't know, but I think we could know. Like, I don't know the guys in the past. The guys in the past who said, we don't know why the volcano erupts, so we'll just call it a volcano god. They prevented knowledge from advancing because they said, we have an answer. It's a volcano god. So then why on earth would people study geology or magma or lava or pressure or any of these things, right? Because they have an answer, and the answer is called God. And so people stop looking. When you put this big thing called God on the edge of human knowledge, you're not creating knowledge. You're destroying knowledge. You're destroying the capacity for knowledge because people stop looking. They think I have an answer. I don't know how human consciousness operates. You don't know how human consciousness operates. I'm willing to say, I don't know, but it sure as hell is going to be fun to find out. What you want to say is, I'm going to pretend I know by using this big blob called God. And then if I can convince enough people of that, people are going to stop looking because they think they have an answer, but they don't. Right. No, that's, that's, that's certainly a fair point. Certainly a fair point. Um, I, I guess that, that I, I, the, where I come to this conclusion is that I, I don't feel like I'm trying to skirt the outside of understanding and say, well, that outside of understanding is God. I'm trying to make the, the argument that since I, my argument is that nature I don't see how nature can allow the, again, the, the, the ability to use logic and reason to find a moral code. Good, good. Right. And, and I agree with you. I don't know how nature allows for that. I don't know how nature permits that. I don't know the entire biological, psychological, physical, biochemical nature of free will. I don't know. And, and right. you don't know. And as far as I know, nobody knows. Right. And that's cool. I mean, don't you want to have unexplored countries to go visit? Don't you want to have new knowledge that we can pursue? Don't you want to have, I mean, this is, of course, the brain is going to be one of the last things to be understood, right? I mean, we got to right. understand dark matter and, and string bullshit non-theory. I mean, you know, we're going to be able to dance the jig with quantum mechanics bubbles before we're going to be, because, you know, we're trying to use the brain to figure out itself. That's Kind of a challenge, right? I mean, that's trying to literally trying to like lift yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? And so it is, it is a great unknown. I wouldn't say mystery because it is an unknown at the moment, and it's very cool mm -hmm. that there's an unknown. God help us, so to speak, as a species, <laughs> if we ever run out of unknowns. Not only might we be gods, but we'll be bored as hell because we are a questing species. We are a curious species. We are a gotta know species, or at least some parts right. of us, and. So I think if, if, you know, as far as God goes, he, here's my advice. And whether you want to take advice from me, of course or not, it's up to you. But this is my advice. <laughs> what you want to do is you want to have faith. That's what you want to do. If you want to have a God, you got to have faith. See, if you come to me and you say, Steph, I believe in God. And I say, why? You say, because I have faith. Do you know what I'm going to say? Not in the realm of philosophy anymore. 
I may right. disagree with the position of having faith, but you're not trying to make an argument based on reason and evidence for the existence of God. Now, as soon as you make an argument based on reason and evidence for the existence of God, you've stepped into the realm of philosophy and reluctantly, I have to take you on. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm like the security guard who's like, I got to guard this building, kids. Can you go and do your skateboarding somewhere else? And now if they go and take their skateboarding someone else, great. I don't have to call the cops. Fantastic. Off you go. Play somewhere else. But if you keep playing, you're skateboarding in the parking lot of the building I'm supposed to guard, and you won't listen to me. You got to take it elsewhere. Sorry. I got to call the cops on you. Because my job is to guard this building, to guard this factory. That's my job. Now, if... You want to have belief in a deity, and you say, there's no reason behind it, there's no evidence behind it, it's faith. Well, I can disagree with the methodology of faith, but I can't, it's not a philosophical statement, so you're not playing on my property, if that makes sense. But as soon as you start to make those arguments, reluctantly, like, I, I really like Christians these days, right? But I, you know, <laughs> nonetheless, my, my, my whole gig is to guard the building called Reason and Evidence of Philosophy. And if you stop playing on my turf, then I'm going to have to mix it up with you. And if you want to stay on the turf of faith, then we don't run into each other, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, that, that does make sense. That does make sense. And I'm, I'm certainly all for um, continuing, continuing searching for, for those answers that, that, that you're talking about. Um, that is the, that is the exciting part. Um, that is the exciting part. I, I specifically in, uh, UPB, um, being able to do what you did is, um, extremely fascinating and, and was, was a, a joy to, to get through that, that we do have the ability to use our faculties to find a, a functioning moral code, um, is exciting, is exciting. Um, and that it, that it does indeed exist here and we're not just subject to, the whims and the conjecture of the supposed people or priest or gatekeepers of that information. Um, and the, the, the subjectivism, um, is a, is a fantastic achievement. So that was, uh, that was a pleasure to get through. And, uh, I hope we continue to move forward. In well, videos. thanks. And, and listen, I hope you understand, and, and this is not meant to be as any kind of dig, but I hope you understand that the reason I wrote UPB is because I didn't have the answer called God. We say, where does ethics come from? Well, ethics comes from divine commandments. Ethics come from God. I didn't have that answer. So UPB is my, I don't have an answer I don't consider legitimate. Or sorry, I don't have an answer I consider legitimate. And therefore, I write the book. So that is my, um, uh, that is my answer to that. So thanks very much for your call. I appreciate that. Yes. And um, uh, I, again, want to reiterate how much I like Christianity these days. So I just really <laughs> wanted to point that out. And I appreciate the call. Thank you so much, Heather. Thanks, Steph. Bye. All right. Up next, we have Kayla. Kayla wrote in and said, Though I'm fairly self-aware, in my relationship there are issues that are rooted in my own insecurities. The biggest issue being jealousy. I feel so jealous all the time because I feel inferior to other women, mostly physically. And this stresses me out in every way that it possibly could. Not only do I already feel bad about myself because of how I am, but I also feel bad about the way that I treat my partner because I never want to stress him out about anything. I've gone so far as to avoid going out and participating in certain activities with him because I don't want to risk being around a woman that would be more attractive than myself. Although I've listened in and gotten a few ideas as to why my mind functions this way, 
I can't feel confident enough in my reasoning to move forward and handle the issue. So, for the sake of my partnership, what is causing these insecurities and how do I use this knowledge to prevent the downfall of my love life? That's from Kayla. Hey, Kayla, how you doing? Hey, Stefan. I'm well, thank you. Good, good. Nervous. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Two, two songs pop into my head. I just figured I'm not going to sing them. Just get them out of my way. <laughs> Kayla rhymes with the famous song by Eric Clapton, where it sounds like he's shredding his vocal cords with a high-pitched cat. Oh, my God. And the other is there's an actually wonderful song by Queen called Jealousy, which is a beautifully sung and has lovely guitar in it. It's a very sort of calm and, and mellow song. But uh, anyway, so just get that musical mental bug out of my... So, <laughs> so what is it with, with women that you feel like you say compare your physicality, your body, your face, and so on? What is it that... Uh, what are the sort of top three issues that you wish were different regarding yourself? Um, what do you mean? What do I wish I could change about myself? Yeah, or like of, you said, you feel inferior uh, to other women, mostly physically. And, and how or in what way do you feel inferior to women? Well, uh, everything about my appearance to me is just negative. I don't really know why I feel this way about myself. And I've sort of tried to do like some soul searching, but nothing really seems to answer it for me. If I could change stuff about myself, it'd be like, I have a few physical deformities, like my spine curves off to the side, you know, so it causes like an odd curve on one side, which is something that most people don't even notice until I point it out, you know, other stuff like um, I'm flat chested or I don't have like crazy curves or anything like that. But I feel as though I'm like surrounded, even whenever I look at a woman who I'm like in the back of my head, I'm thinking, you know, is that really someone I should be worried about? But for some reason, there's like a voice in me that's just saying, Kayla, like, you should definitely, I don't know, lash out. You should definitely be on your guard. You should definitely feel inferior, be jealous. I don't know why I get this way. So your negative judgment is not so much of yourself as it is of men. Um. Well, I thought that at some point, but it boils down to... If he is looking at somebody else, it's not because he's a pig. It's because I can't offer anything to him. That would, well, but you know. no, no. See, here's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. When you say I can't offer anything to him because what? Look, some guys don't like boobs. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. So some guys like flat, flatter chested women. Some guys, I mean, look at the fashion model industry. Do you, do you think that fashion models have trouble getting dates? Those guys are built like fishing wire. <laughs> right and yeah, so you yeah. know if you nail together a couple of emaciated planks of wood and drape a dress over it, it looks pretty much the same <laughs> to me and yeah. if you look at um i mean just to take silly examples ba ballet dancers right i mean i knew a, a girl a woman um she wanted to become a ballet dancer and then she sprouted like full-on ariel winter style forward deployment fun bags and um <laughs> She couldn't be a ballet dancer because her boobs were too big. And mm -hmm. But it's not like ballet dancers with small boobs or no boobs have big trouble getting dates. So, you know, you can always find something about yourself. But what you're doing is you're saying, my personality, my character, my, my intellect, my sense of humor, my virtue, that's not yeah. enough to keep a man. I have to look a certain way and or be exactly. perfect in a certain way anyway. Exactly. Right. Well, so that's also, what I mean when I say you're not so much judging your own looks as you are judging men's shallowness. And I'm not saying men aren't shallow, right? There's definitely part of that. But that's not the whole deal, right? The looks yeah. may get a man's attention, but looks will not keep a man's love. Mm -hmm. 
Well, recently, um, I rewatched your to prepare calling. <laughs> I rewatched your video about um, a man who called in and his girlfriend didn't like you because you talked about how women's sexual market value depreciates over time. Yep. Well, it kind of hit me. I was like, if I don't even really have that to offer right now, <laughs> then you know, wait, what to down offer? The road, um, the whole, you know, like you were like something that can hold on to them, something that can keep them in. One of the reasons why they're here for you is because, you know, your, your eggs mostly, but your physical appearance doesn't hurt. You know what I mean? So I feel as though if I'm barely like the way that I react to situations, you know, my jealousy can get so out of hand. I feel as though if I don't even have something so simple as looks to keep someone around that my psychotic, <laughs> you know, outburst. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Okay. I think right I understand there. where you're coming from. Yeah. So Kayla, I have a quick uh -huh. question for you, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. Are you trying to tell me that really, really gorgeous women are the mentally healthy, secure, confident, non-crazy women? Um, well, when you say it that way, it doesn't exactly... Sound well, right. if I only looked better, I'd have more confidence. <laughs> right. Like all those really confident hot women. Yeah. yeah. Well, it seems as though, you know, with the, uh, and maybe this is just the issue with me and the type of people that I go after, but <laughs> it seems like a lot of people around me, you know, men are very um, attracted to these women, attracted to these women, obviously, you know, who look attractive, but they're very confident in themselves and they seem very happy. Wait, you know, sorry, the women are? Like, Yes, yes, yes. Right. They um they seem very happy. They seem very confident. They seem very, you know, and the guys are like, they praise this. You know what I mean? But I can't, like, fake it, really. <laughs> I can't, you know, force this uh, confident front too much. But You know, the confidence thing, the confidence thing that people have is often either circumstantial or a kind of con game. Like real confidence is a very hard-earned personal treasure. Yeah. You don't just you don't <laughs> just get it, right? You don't get to be confident because people want to have sex with you. Yeah. You know, you can be confident that you're able to provoke sexual desire in men or in women if those want to have sex with you. But that's not the same as being confident as a person, right? False confidence is everywhere in life. And it's sort of like when you, when you walk down the street and, and, and you see all of these nice houses with, with manicured lawns and, and you can sort of glimpse into the houses and see these, these nice furnishings and drapes and so on and people moving about. I mean, you don't know what the hell's going on in those houses. You don't know what goes yeah. on in the basement. You don't know what goes on in the attic. You don't know what goes on behind closed doors. You don't know. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you seen a public figure who seems to be, you know, have it all together and it's some giant fall from grace, something, whatever, right? I mean, you can mm. be a congressman. <laughs> Turns out you're a sexy, <laughs> underage girl, right? Yeah. So confidence is a lot of it. I, I think a lot of it is either circumstantial, like you're, you're just young and happen to be hot as a woman or whatever. And, and so guys <laughs> want you and you're, you know, you, you're buoyed out by it. But that doesn't last. Yeah. I mean, you know that's not going to last. And if you, you, you know, I mean, you know deep down, and everybody does, that, that if you place your value on your looks, well, you, you, what happens is, see, confidence grows over life. You don't want the kind of confidence that steals from your future. 
you know, because confidence in like youth and attractiveness is like a drug habit. Sure, you feel good mm -hmm. now, but it's going to cost you later. And if as a woman or a man, you say, I'm confident because I'm hot. <laughs> well, the hotness is going to leave. Mm -hmm. And you haven't built the necessary personality structure to support yourself in the absence of that hotness. And so you go crazy. See, well, this is the issue. This is one of the things, you know, I agree with everything that you're saying. This is what I've been trying to tell myself in order to get myself out of this mindset. But And I feel as though I have a fair amount to offer, um, you know, intelligence-wise. I don't want to, like, brag, but I think that I'm a fairly intelligent person. I think that I'm, you know, a pretty decent human. Um, but it seems as though a lot of these traits aren't glorified. Maybe it's just the people that I'm Sorry, surrounding which myself with. Um intelligence a decent amount uh what's what am i trying to say humble being humble being um selfless i guess and i'm not saying that i am like a high degree of all of these things but um you know just traits that you would want to be around i guess right i mean is, is that a picture i won't say anything obviously in detail but is, is that your picture on your skype it is yes you're very attractive <laughs> thank you no you are i mean Nice figure, great hair, I mean, even features, uh, <laughs> and uh, slender and all that. So, you know, this is sort of outside eye, and I have uh, <laughs> I, I, I have scanned the legions of female beauties over my life. And um, so <laughs> I, I would say that, that your inner perception, your inner image does not accord with... Now, I know everyone puts the, a good picture, but you can't fake some of that stuff, right? I was going to point that yeah, out, right? Yeah. So, um, so I would say that your inner vision of your attractiveness is not in line with what is seen from the outside, right? At least for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, that obviously won't help you that much, right? I mean, it's nice exactly. to hear. Exactly. That's the thing. You know, everybody says it, you know, whenever yeah. I talk to people about it and they're like, but you're so pretty, you're so pretty. And if it was so easy yeah, to just help. hear that and move no, on with it, I you get know it. what I mean? No. But it, it means a lot. But I'm just... saying that to point out that you're wrong about looking like some mutant <laughs> cave-dwelling crawl. Right? I, mean, I mean, just want to point that out. Uh -huh. Now... I remember the times in my life when people told me how attractive I was. I remember those very vividly. I can remember in, uh, I, was in the, I was in a high school production of Our Town by Thornton Wilder. And there was a cast party afterwards. And I didn't really drink, but, but a few. Uh, this one woman, I guess girl back then, we were 18 or 17. 18, yeah, this is back when we went to grade 13. And I remember she got really drunk and I was helping her home. I'm sort of knocked the doorbell and handed her over to her parents or whatever. And on the way home, she was so drunk, she said, Steph, two things about you. One, you're gorgeous. Two, you flirt with everybody. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I actually kind of disagree with either of those assessments. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, was a, I was a big, big flirt when I was younger. But anyway, um, <laughs> So, so your inner perception of your attractiveness is not related to what's going on on the outside. And, you know, we won't show the picture, but I'm, I guarantee you if anyone would see the picture, it would be one of these, is she just fishing for compliments, right? You know, like... <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah, 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 no, but it I get it, you, know? you genuinely feel that way, right? So... It's unhealthy. <laughs> you know you filled out an adverse childhood experience score with us, right? Yes. ACE. And 
you don't you don't have to talk about anything you don't want to talk about, of course, right? But I'm open so, so yeah. <laughs> let's just I want to go through a couple and just ask you a couple of questions whether they were related to 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 physical attractiveness. So verbal abuse and threats. I'm again. I'm sorry you had an ACE score of seven. And listen. This is a test worth taking for people. It doesn't matter how good or bad your childhood was. It's a test worth taking. It's not perfect. And there's things that I don't agree about with it, but it's not a bad place to start in terms of trying to get some handle on on history. So when you experienced verbal abuse and threats, were they regarding attractiveness or was it regarding other things? Um, It was usually other things. My appearance wasn't usually attacked by adults. That was more so just like other family members um, or other like people that I went to school with and stuff. But family wise, adults never did. When I got a bit older, however, I've always been fairly um, small framed. I'm pretty tiny. But when I got older, um, certain household members would come up to me and if I was like sitting you know whenever you sit you naturally might have like a roll or something on your stomach I would have people come up to me and like poke it and say you know wow you're gaining weight and like make little jabs here and there at my appearance um which sounds so minuscule you know but when you're growing up when you're like a little preteen who's so concerned with their looks that kind of thing doesn't really set a very solid foundation (laughs) right um but no, uh, appearance-wise, that was not usually the big focus. And uh, as far as the uh, physical abuse, I assume, was not related to to, to looks. And again, no. I'm sorry to hear about that. The one that I would imagine is the most um, causal in, in this kind of issue, Kayla, would be number three, molestation uh, or, or yes. sex or rape. Yes. Uh, again, if you can tell me a little bit about that, that may have something to do with Yes, actually, um, and I can give you a little bit of extra thought on that after I finish explaining it, but when I was about ages three to four, um, I had a babysitter because single mom (laughs) worked full time, Uh, and uh, I had a babysitter, and every day I would come to his place after school, and uh, it was his wife who was supposed to be watching me, but she had a husband, and he would uh, take me away from all the other kids multiple times a day uh into like a bedroom or a bathroom or something and molest me and it uh it was horrible and I didn't know how to ex- I didn't know what was happening I knew that it felt wrong but I didn't know how to explain it to anybody so one day I was in the car and my mom was like you know Kayla if so if he would if he's doing something like this you would let me know right and I was like oh well now that you mention it <laughs> he is doing that and I was taken out immediately but uh I think when it came to running tests for it we were a bit late, and so he got off scot-free, which kind of sucked. But it happens, and then after that, um, it happened again with someone else, another person who was watching me. Um, my mother was going out with one of her friends, and uh, her son agreed to watch me. And I was trying to watch something on TV, and I didn't want to watch it by myself, I think. And so he was like, you know, I was probably six when this happened, um, maybe a little bit younger. And he was like, I'll watch it with you if you let me do this. And I was like, no, 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 no. Of course, even at that age, I was still able to say no, but, you know, against my will. You never really agree to be molested. So, but yeah, and that was, yeah, that was the last time it happened. So. And did you uh, yeah. tell your mom about that? I did, but it was a little while later um, and she yelled at me. <laughs> she was like, why didn't you tell me sooner? But I didn't really know how to explain it, and I was a bit scared, nervous. You know, I didn't want to be in trouble for letting someone do that to me. But, you know, at that point, it was too late to do anything. So, yeah. Right. 
Um, oh, and I was saying that I was going to go into a little bit of detail after that. Um, I have this issue, um, and as if I haven't made myself sound attractive enough with my insane jealousy, um, where sex-related things tend to make me really angry, like not the act itself necessarily, but um, if something comes on TV or is mentioned in a song, uh, and my current partner is mindful of this, but uh, if something is mentioned about it that's overly provocative, um, it sends me into a rage, like not an open rage. I'm not smashing windows and stuff like that, but internally I get really uh, off put. And I think it's because at such a young age, you know, it was sort of put into my mind that uh, sex is something that's so controlling, you know, and you can, it just drives people to do disgusting things like touch four-year-old little girls. <laughs> so. Right. That uh, that kind of plays into this whole insecurity thing that I have where, um, sorry if my voice sounds a little bit shaky, um, it kind of plays in this insecurity thing I have where it's like, no matter what I have to offer, you know what I mean? Sex can drive people to do crazy things. And if he's so sexually attracted to another woman, <laughs> then, you know, what can I really offer? So. Well, and and I'm obviously I normally will nag at people for laughing or or being positive about things that are so horrible. But you know, you're young, and it was horrible stuff. And I just wanted to let you know I'm aware of it, but I didn't want to interrupt your story. But uh, my apologies. No, it's that's, a, that's fine. I, it's it's, I mean, it's it's brave to talk about this stuff, and I I appreciate you you doing it. Um, how, how old were you, Kayla, when your parents got divorced? Well, surprise, surprise, they were never married. Uh, My dad left very, very, very early. And, um, yeah, it was never a huge part of my life. It it was not around much at all? Well, whenever I was younger, way younger, um, I would go to stay with him over the summer when he was married to this one woman um, who kind of kept him in check. I would go visit over the summer for a little while and stay with him and my brothers. Um, but that ended after a few summers, two or three, maybe they got, they got divorced. Another surprise. Um, and so after that, the only time I was ever able to see him was if he somehow found out that I was in state or something and fought until I would go see him or, um, for my graduation a few years back, he showed up to see me then but other than that no he has not been a part of my life and when you said that you lived with an alcoholic or drug user that was um my dad whenever i would go stay with them and also whenever i was young 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 like very very tiny um we lived with him and that's how he was and spending months at a time with him being that way oh also i Wait, forgot was he to mention, an alcoholic or drug user or both? drug user and alcoholic both <laughs> yeah yeah um Whenever I went to go see him a few years ago, I think it was maybe when I was in middle school, which was a few years ago, but a while back. And he um, was under some kind of influence. I don't know what it was. And he got into a fight with his fiance at the time. And they had a wooden frame sort of in their house where it looked like a window should be, but there wasn't one. And he was arguing with her and he ended up grabbing her somehow. I didn't see this part and pushing her up against the frame so that she was choking. He was choking her up against the frame and it snapped. And that was the only reason he let go of her. So, so my it was like he tried to kill her. 
Um, I don't know. I don't. I honestly, I don't know. But I, it could have. That right? might have been. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it could have come out to. Christ. And her children were there as well, so they were subjected to that, which is just terrible. Oh, so she was a single mom too. Yes. <sighs> now yeah, you know that, that. That I don't know if you've watched the presentation. The truth about single moms. Mm-hmm. But single single motherhood is is like by far the family structure in which the children are the most abused. I'm well aware, yes. And leftists, this is a very gross generalization, so, you know, take it for what it's worth, but it, it hasn't escaped my attention that leftists seem to be quite keen on the hypersexualization of children. And I certainly have seen a number of prominent leftists who have problems with child pornography or, or molestation and so on. And they also are promoting social policies and tax policies that, and ideologies they know is going to lead to single motherhood. Now, if I, no, if, if there was someone who was, you know, who wanted access, sexual access to children, having single moms around is a great boon. Yeah. And I just, I sometimes wonder, this is a very long series of causalities. So it's very tentative and it's very abstract. But I just wonder if there isn't some motivation among some leftists in the production of single motherhood because it gives them sexual access to, to kids. We just, we know yeah. that statistically, they're going to be like 30 times more likely to be molested than in a two parent healthy household. Mm-hmm. So I am sorry for that start to your life. It's okay. I've no, no, it's not. I'm no, it's working not. to recover from it is what I meant to say. Right. You know, it doesn't affect me as heavily as it once What to. about your mother's boyfriends, if she had them? Um, well, she didn't have many when I was growing up. Um, currently, the one that she's with, she's been with for, uh, I don't know, since 2009, so eight years. Um, and they're doing fairly well most of the time there's arguing you know but um not too bad i guess uh but yeah he's never tried anything he also has children so you know he's not like a abusive person for the most part right i could tell yeah right now why do you think your biological parents got together um, well, my mom had a, I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. This is more so just like a nerve thing, but, um, had a very bad upbringing as well. You know, same thing as me only add on physical, like intense physical abuse from other family members and verbal abuse targeted at her appearance and her intellectual state and all these other things, you know, so she didn't exactly come out of a very great place either. And so I guess, she just saw someone that she thought was attractive and they, she thought that maybe, I guess she didn't know his history as well. Maybe she didn't know what could come of it. I know that I was, um, an accident, so it wasn't like she was trying to start a family with them, I suppose, but. What do you mean by, by an accident? I never quite, I mean, unless you're Mary mother of Joseph, I don't know where the excuse is. Uh, I wasn't planned. We'll put it that way. Well, no, but I mean, it's 18 different forms yeah. of birth control for women. Yeah. Um, yeah. You would think, right? You would think that, uh, that it'd be more preventable. But I mean, I'm glad you're here. Don't get me wrong. 
but <laughs> as am I. Yeah. yeah. And how long have you been with your current boyfriend for? Not very long. I think since April, so just three months or almost four, actually. Yeah. So not too long at all. And how much does he know about your history? Um, well, recently, um, I started explaining this stuff to him. Actually, right before I got in this call, I was standing outside of my house with him, telling him uh, he knows about you. And I was telling him that I was really excited to be on the show. And I kind of opened up about the whole sexual abuse history right then, <laughs> which uh, might not have been the best time, but I did. And he was very comforting with it um, or about it. And... That's about it. When we first got involved, I told him about, you know, my jealousy and all that. So he knew about that right off the bat. But as for my history, not so much. He also knows that I was spanked as a kid. But, of course, he doesn't share my views on it. And he doesn't see it as a horrible treatment to children, which I'm working on. Well, what was his childhood like, Kayla? Um, really good, actually, from what he's told me. It was like he had a bunch of friends. His parents are together, you know, and they still love each other deeply. And I can tell every time I see them. Uh, he lives in a very nice house, a beautiful neighborhood. His life seems like it's all together. Um, I do recall him telling me that he went through. Oh, and big family, too. Everybody's super close in his family. Um, I do recall him telling me that he went through a phase where um, his he fought with his parents all the time. I think him and his father got into some sort of physical fight. I think his dad like punched him or something like that. I don't recall completely, but other than that one time from what he's told me, it's, it was wonderful. Right. Wait, but I assume he was spanked, right? Yes. Yeah. So he was spanked and, and he, he got that. into a fist fight with his father. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. But, um, yeah, which, you know, but he speaks of, his childhood happily he doesn't sound hurt you know and he says do you think that everyone who speaks of that hang on, I'm, I'm not saying he's wrong right but do you think that yeah, everyone yeah, who yeah. speaks of no, their childhood no. happily had a happy childhood no of course not of course not but i mean as far as it as far as the way that you know he doesn't look back in pain which i guess is just like one good thing you know i mean obviously it had its effects on him mentally and all of that but at least he doesn't look back and say, wow, I hated my life. I was so miserable. You know what I mean? Right. That's just what I was trying to say. Bye. So as far as, far as body images and all that go, I mean, it's funny too, because I was just talking about this with a friend of mine the other day, how this sort of selfie culture, you know, <laughs> when, I, when I was a kid, you know, people would, would rush to see their yearbook photos because they hadn't been photographed all year. Yeah. Like, you know, especially if you were poor. I mean, a camera was pretty expensive and, and, and getting your camera film developed was pretty expensive. And then it would just generally go into some picture book that you wouldn't see. Now it's like swipe, swipe, swipe. Like you can see yourself mm -hmm. from every angle yep. all day, all the time, yep, right? Yep, yep. And it is a pretty wild thing when you get instant access to some of the most, you know, genetically gifted, hardworking, physical beauties of all time, right? 
Yeah. You, you, enemy, uh, sorry, uh, Emily Rajakowski or whatever the hell her name is like, I can't get, <laughs> I can't get roles in, in Hollywood because my boobs are too big. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, so you, you see, I mean, you know, I'm sure they work hard, they, they exercise and so on, mm-hmm. but there are lots of people who do that who aren't going to end up looking like that. I mean, there's a certain genetic uh, giftiness to all of that. Mm-hmm. So not only do you see yourself a lot, in, in selfies and pictures and, and, oh, here's a picture we took last night. And, you know, like I, I in, in my high school yearbook, there was like a picture of, of, of a dance and I was like dancing away. I'm like, oh, I've never seen a picture. Like now you can't, you, you're at a club and like, click, 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 yeah. click. everyone yeah. documents everything all the time. Mm-hmm. And so having the, the, the selfie culture combined with the, what are the Instagram models doing today? Yeah, honestly. You know, that you you know that is not realistic, right? Yeah, but that's such a that's such a big player into this. And I hate you know, I don't want to say, oh, it's the media, because it's really not. But like in terms of me, it's just my own personal attacks on myself, but it really doesn't help when you know, and I, I avoid social media. I don't use it. The only thing I use is YouTube and that's all you know, philosophy stuff, but well, that's um, all very healthy, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I used to use it, but then I was like, I can't deal with this. I don't oh, no. So, social media users in general, as far as I understand, and people spend a lot of time on social media, like mm-hmm. where it's not their job, you know, like I have a certain yeah. jobby element to social media, but if you spend a lot of time on social media, odds are you're kind of depressed. Exactly, exactly. And I would just see so much stuff. And I would see so many people, this is playing into the insecurity thing, I would see so many people that I would, you know, hold some sort of interest in just gawking and going crazy over these people who just seem to offer so little other than, you know, their uh, appearance. And it was just sort of mind blowing to me. I was like, you're really going to worship this, this social media icon for what, what, what is so, what is the appeal? I'm not understanding. And that was one of the reasons why I left because just seeing it all the time was draining, I guess. Oh, yeah. And Again, of course, I don't you want know, to blame pe- people, people aren't generally going to post their less favorable moments, you know? Yeah, yeah. Here's the face, here's my face. I just got fired. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that is not. <laughs> hey, I just discovered this really strange thing on my leg. You know, like people aren't going to post that. They're going to be like, here's the meal I just prepared. Ta-da! You know, or Michelle Malkin, she's out there hiking again. It's like, well, good for her, actually. I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> and I like Michelle a lot. But but this is, is you're not going to see now. Actually, um, Ann Coulter did, did retweet one picture of hers that was not, I mean, a great looking woman, but I don't know, she retweeted a picture, you know, it only takes the wrong angle at the wrong time of day. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I mean... Uh, I, I'll sometimes look pretty good in photos, but, you know, you get those photos where it's like, you know, you're kind of sagging, you know, you you can always push out a second chin if you want. And, you know, or, or you know, as you say, you sit down and unless you're like a Calvin Klein model who hasn't had a drink of water in three days for a photo shoot, you know, you're going to have a little bit of a roll or you see. It's funny, you know, because you see pictures of movie stars off season and, you know, and it's sad because when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, being slender was good enough. And then, like after Stallone and Rocky and some and 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 pumping iron and gym culture, being slender wasn't enough. Then then you had to have like visible stomach muscles. 
Yeah. You know, because Lord knows you you may need to save a kitten's life by doing 5,000 crunches <laughs> one day and you want to be prepared. Right? And, yeah. and, and then it became like, okay, a- abs are now the thing. Now you have to show abs, you know, like Jersey Shore, you lift this shit up and, and show your, your situation, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but, you know, these guys, uh, a lot of these guys with the, the muscles and the, the, the lot of the women, that's not natural. And I don't mean it's not natural, like, who the hell has time to spend five hours a day in the gym? Like, they take but stuff. Awesome. You know, didn't yeah. Schwarzenegger openly admitted to using massive amounts of steroids to achieve his size? And he had to have, like, open-heart surgery um, <laughs> after they found out that he banged his housekeeper <laughs> rather than his wife. I think they <laughs> didn't assume he had a heart. But uh, it's <laughs> pretty pretty toxic and dangerous stuff. This is not, not realistic yeah. things to have. But if you see movie stars... Like, okay, so movie stars with abs, right? Or, or like, reasonably tight stomachs. You know, you see Harrison Ford off-season, it's like, whoa, he ate Chewbacca. Uh, or, or even uh, guys who've got, uh, who were sort of slender frames or whatever, like, um, oh, what's his name? The guy who was in The Martian. Ben Affleck, uh, Matt, Matt Damon, Matt Damon. You see yeah. him off-season, it's like, whoa. <laughs> Um, Matt, yoga mat on my belly, Damon, or, you know, even, even Brad Pitt, you know, of the most famous mm-hmm. abs in history, uh, abs and hair. Uh, you see Brad Pitt off season and it's like, oh yeah, okay. So he can't just walk in and do a movie. <laughs> He's got to train a little first. <laughs> yeah. And so there is this, of course, unrealistic stuff. These guys have, you know, it's their job. Professional dietitians, they, they issue water use. They, you know, when, when Matt Damon had to lose weight for a movie he made with Meg Ryan, he's like, okay, one piece of fish a day for like three months. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. uh, it's crazy hard work and that's their job and they paid millions of dollars to do it. So comparing yourself to, even in social media, this is the, the people post when they're doing the best. And mm-hmm. I get it. I mean, it, it's kind of nice, but sometimes it's kind of douchey, right? Yeah. Like, like nobody sits there and says, here's my bowl of Cheerios. I, here's my bowl of Cheerios I'm eating with half an apricot <laughs> because I'm too lazy to make dinner, right? I mean, that's, that's not very common, although it is yeah. actually kind of common. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's always like, yeah. Yeah. here's my, uh, uh, my veal parmesan gratin, whatever it is, like some lobster bisque of tourniquet mm-hmm. soup or something like that. And it's just not realistic to, to compare your average yeah. day or your average slice of day with everyone's highlight reel, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, see, uh, you know, in terms of the insecurities and stuff, it's gotten to the point, <laughs> or I guess it's always been at the point where... Um, it's not even just comparing myself to photos. Someone could walk by me outside, which is common. You know what I mean? When you see somebody attractive outside, you're like, wow. But um, for me, it's not like a wow moment. It's a immediate well, listen, first of all, Kayla, Kayla, I don't mm-hmm. know how you're seeing really attractive people outside because I spend a lot of my time inside. So I don't, I don't really <laughs> understand that. Um, uh-huh. But no, so, so you see this in real life. It's not just this unrealistic stuff. And for sure. But here's the thing. In my humble opinion, mm-hmm. the the reality of sexual molestation, in my mind, goes something like this: You have an ambivalent relationship to sexuality because you want to be sexually attractive. There's nothing wrong with that. You want to be sexually attractive, but sexuality, given your early experiences, has a dark and dangerous, sinister and destructive element, right? Yes, 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 yes. So you're like a lion tamer who's pretty convinced that the lion's going to eat him. 
Exactly. Right. So, exactly. so you have this yeah. this highly ambivalent relationship, and I think it comes out as this comparison, this jealousy, because I mean, sexuality towards kids. I don't know. I I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't even comprehend it. But it does, of course, give children this the very darkest and nastiest twisted elements of human sexuality. And, you know, whether it's about sexuality or about control or destruction, uh, you know, I think it is more about destruction than anything else. And I think it also arises out of a terrifying kind of insecurity, you know, like you have so much power and control over a child that, that, uh, you know, like uh, an adult can say no, an adult is going to have demands. There's going to be some kind of egalitarianism in the relationship. An adult has options. Mm -hmm. An adult can call the cops if you do something untoward and kids are, kind of helpless and, and easily controllable in, in many situations. So exactly. So I would say that as far as this attractiveness goes, a lot of, I mean, when I look at growing rates of single motherhood and I look at growing rates of obesity, what I see is growing rates of single motherhood equals growing rates of molestation. Growing rates <laughs> mm -hmm. of molestation may have something to do with growing rates of obesity because a lot of people get fat to reduce their sexual market value because they don't want to be attractive to the lion. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. So yeah. you want to be attractive and you are attractive, but at the same time, there is danger in being attractive. Yes. Yeah. I mean, when you've got the, what is it? Some guy from, from Glee was caught with child pornography. We've got uh, the um, California deputy attorney general caught with child pornography we've we've got uh, all of it's i mean they're, they're being arrested all over the place this is something the mainstream yeah. media will not talk about and it's absolutely unconscionable these child prostitution rings these child molestation rings these child pornography rings are being crushed by the attorney general are being crushed in law enforcement in wave after wave after wave and by god it's about time and by god don't ever stop exactly and so this, your manifestations, such as they are from, from some of the molestation that you experienced, if, if that's what they are, first of all, good job, relatively mild, mm -hmm. right? But here's the reality. You, Kayla, will never be molested again because you're not a child anymore. You yeah. are an adult with independence, a cell phone, full phone calls, full options, full legal protections. You're not dependent on anyone. You're not four. You're not six. That's in the rear view. Doesn't mean, doesn't need to be processed, doesn't need to be dealt with. But that will never, ever happen again. Ever. And so if you have ambivalence towards sexuality because of your history. I completely understand it. But that's because the history has to some degree remained, in my opinion, unprocessed. Mm -hmm. Now, once you process all of that, it's very liberating. You know, I worked, I worked at a Swiss chalet when I was a teenager. And the Swiss chalet had this little bar in it. Mm -hmm. And Late one night, I was just tidying up my section, and there was some belligerent jerk at the bar. And the bartender was a, a really cool guy. I liked him. And this belligerent drunk 
was upset about, you know, stupid drunks. They just, whatever, it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? I mean, who knows why the hell you're dead, but anyway. But the belligerent drunk was like, oh, yeah, I could just crack you on the face, right? And the bartender just shrugged and said, yeah, you could. I called the cops, you go to jail. Yeah. Now, I, I looked at that and my jaw just like, I don't know, I was like 16 or so, maybe 17. And my jaw just like hit the floor. And I was like, damn, he's right. Mm-hmm. I could do that when I was being beaten up by my mom when I was a kid. I could you know, I call the cops, you go to jail. It's like, nope. Yeah. Need an adult in the house. She's the only one I got. Yep. And so that moment of, wow, I'm now an adult and people cannot fuck with me in the same way anymore. Yep. I am not dependent. I am not subjugated. I will never need to rely on someone else for that kind of protection who can violate that kind of protection. I now have full access to the weight of law to keep me safe. Yeah. That's in the rear view. Going forward will never be like it was. Going forward has nothing to do with that. That was horrible. That was terrible. That was wrong. Yeah. And I sure as shit wish that those people, those guys had paid for what they did. Honestly. Honestly. But even that was not your choice at the age of four and six. Yeah. I tried to uh, find them. Sorry to throw this in there, but I tried to find them recently or a few years ago and again recently to see if I could just see if they're alive see if they're you know i don't know why i was looking for maybe i wanted some sort of just i have no maybe idea. they're in prison but um yeah i was hoping so but i couldn't find either one of them and uh the only thing that i had about the first man was his name and uh or his last name and the other one i don't even remember what i was going off of for him right but but so i I, I wonder you know what what you experienced at the age of four and the age of six will never happen again you will never, ever be in that life situation again. I wish, wish with all of my heart, Kayla, that you'd never been in that life situation. But you never will now as an adult. That's the goal. That's No, but do you, do you, does that, you know? I understand. Yes, I do. I yeah, do. but this, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 I understand. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that at this point in my life, I'm not so terrified of it happening again. At this point, the scariest part to me is what I'm having to deal with because of it. You know what I mean? I can't even, I can't even watch a movie or listen to a song without getting enraged because someone brings up sex. You know, or there's a sex scene or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not so nervous because I've come to the realization, you know, of I'm not so vulnerable anymore. But inside i'm still constantly dealing especially at a time which i guess it's always been but when sex appeal is just so heavily relied on for everything you know earlier today i was watching a music video and the music video opened up with just a room full of half naked women dancing on each other and i immediately got angry because i mean because why i don't know because i feel because it's stupid our selected physical crap thank you Thank you. Because it turns human <laughs> beings you. into muscle-pumping, semen-spraying rabbit heads. I mean, it, it's it's terrible stuff. And again, sexual attractiveness is important. Being physically attractive is fine. Staying in shape is fine. All of this stuff is great. But the hypersexualization is tragic. And 
it generally promotes a kind of vicious body narcissism that is extremely unhealthy and often pathological to well, you know, the to... highest ideal of social good. And of course, it requires that we empty ourselves out of anything mm-hmm. other than base sensual intake. You know, mm-hmm. knowing a beautiful soul, knowing a beautiful life, knowing a beautiful character, knowing beautiful virtue and so on, that's hard. That takes some discrimination and judgment. You know, that yeah. guy has abs. That guy has chiseled <laughs> features. That woman mm-hmm. has a tight butt or, you know, whatever. And, yeah, and, and yeah, it's yeah. like, that's just, that's like ape shit, you know? <laughs> it, it's, not, yeah. it's not fundamentally human that apes do that. Well, you see, it's just hard because... Most people, you know, I'm 19, most people, and I, you know, I'm young, at my age, don't really think about, oh, hey, maybe it's really important to keep in mind, at least not the people I'm around, these things. So whenever I try to talk, especially in a, today, you know, there's a whole idea of slut shaming, which is mind blowing to me <laughs> that people are like getting angry over this. Um, but, you know, you try to bring this up to somebody and say, man, you know, this is just ridiculous. This is pathetic. They're just trying to appeal to, you know, what's in your pants. Like, that's such a waste. And people are just like, oh, you're so prudish. You're so traditional. Get over it. But, and it's what? So that's kind of every time I have one of those moments where I'm like, hey, I do have something more to offer than just, you know, my physical appearance or this or that related to sexuality or whatever. It's always greeted with, no, you know, the rest of us kind of agree <laughs> that. Well, can I tell you, I tell you something interesting? This is just an insight that I've, I've had. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, people who say that sex divorced from values is not great. Oh, you're such a prude. You're somehow, you're somehow against mm-hmm. sex. If you think that, that sort of virtues and values should be involved in the act of sexuality, you're somehow against sex. Can I tell you something, Kayla? This is not, it's not scientifically true. This is not empirically proven. This has just been my experience. Do you know, in my experience, it is the hottest women who dislike sex the most? Well, well, I must be <laughs> shining because... No, no, and and it enrages me. No, and even without the kind of history that that you had, Mm -hmm. because it's it's you know what it's like. Like the richest people really dislike money. Yeah. Because 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 if somebody wants to be your friend, and you're really rich, you don't know if you're pretty sure it's because of your money, right? Like there's an old movie about. Two Guys Hunting a Bear with Alec Baldwin and um, Anthony Hopkins. And Anthony Hopkins is this rich guy and he's, he's up in the wilderness and some guy starts to sit down and chat with him. And within like a minute or two, he's like, oh yeah, you know, I've got this plan for this big hunting lodge up here and, and you got to invest in it. And Anthony Hopkins was like, oh, and, and here I thought you just wanted to chat with me. Yes. Because he's got money, so everyone wants to pitch him. <laughs> so the rich guys, I mean, it's not like they want to give away all their money any, any more than an attractive woman wants to make herself unattractive. You know, she'll let social justice warriors trying to convince her into that. I don't know what it is that they can white women ugly these days. But anyway. Um, but because they, they use sex appeal to get attention, but then they resent, of course that men are only into them for their looks. Mm-hmm. In the same way that a guy throwing money around in a club is going to have lots of friends, right? Yeah. But he resents yeah. that the friends are only there for the money. But I mean, what are you doing, right? Like, you're right. kind of setting yourself up, yeah. Right. 
So I just, and there is no body stuff. You understand there's no solution to that. Yeah. Because if you're hotter, all that happens is you move up in the scale. Yeah. You know, and if you're so hot that you're a bikini model, then you're terrified if you have a pimple. Or mm-hmm. if your boobs start to sag, as they will. Or yeah. you get a little cellulite, as you will, particularly if you're on the pill. Right? So there's no solution to it. You, 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 all that happens is if you're more attractive, then you just move up in the scale. And maybe you're the most attractive person on the planet. You know, one in, in billions, right? Mm-hmm. And then what happens is someone's going to replace you because you're going to get old. Yeah. You know, so you can't, I know. you can't ever. Now, I'm not saying again, I'm not saying don't think about your appearance and it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that at all. Mm-hmm. But you know that anyone who wants to be with you just for your looks is using you, right? Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Uh, like a flashlight, or like they're using you as a sex toy. They're not using you. Like they're not with you. They're with your body, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's gross. And it's cheating. To get attention for looks oh, is as shitty as getting attention for throwing money around. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So. Jealous. You don't trust your boyfriend. It's not anything else. You don't trust your boyfriend because so. male sexuality was very dangerous and damaging to you as a child, right? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Right. So, if you were to trust that your boyfriend is with you because you are you, because you are unique, you are who you are. If your boyfriend is with you because of that, you are irreplaceable. Yeah. Right. And, you know, anybody that you're with is going to tell you that. And so that's what he's told me. The question isn't what he tells you. The question is what you yeah. believe. Now, if you say, well, that's what I'm, that's every what I'm guy saying. is going to tell you that you're special. It's like, well, mm-hmm. then you need to find some way that you can trust a man. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. If you trust him. He can look at other women. He can even appreciate other women. You know, I went to go and see Dunkirk last night with my wife. And she's pointing at a picture of Charlize Theron. She says, man, that is an attractive woman. Look at her. Yeah. Yeah. Right? She knows she's worshipped, loved, and adored, and I'm not going anywhere ever. Right? So if you trust... Your boyfriend, you won't feel jealous. Your jealousy is not anything other than trust. Now, the question is, have you ever had a man in your life that you could trust? Not that I can really recall. Oh, you'd recall. Such a surprise, exactly. You would recall if you had, right? And people usually resort to the, oh, you have daddy issues kind of thing, you know, so. Can I just, you know, there's I a few people I want to thump. There's, there's a few people where my non-aggression principle cracks a little bit. <laughs> the, the, the people who say, like you mentioned this phrase earlier and I got a little facial tick. Like, the people who say, blah, 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 get over it. Mm-hmm. Or get over yourself. It's like it's ugly sibling. It's like, shut up. That's not an argument. Exactly. Get over it. 
Period. No, 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 no. Period. And yeah. what was the phrase you just used? That was another one that. Um, my memory is the worst. Uh, it slipped my mind. My apologies. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. But um, you haven't had a man in your life you can trust. Oh, it was daddy issues. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. The people who say, oh, you just have daddy issues. Oh, you just have mommy mm-hmm. issues. It's like, come on. Come on. If, if a woman's been beaten up by her husband, you say, oh, you just have husband issues. It's like, exactly. no, you were viciously treated by And these are the people who chose the husband. You didn't choose your parents. Exactly. If you're abused by your mother, you have mommy issues. It is a, it's a cheap, abusive, sophist trick to put the person into the frame of mind of being a child again. Because they don't say mother issues usually. They say mommy issues. And mommy is the word mm-hmm. that small kids use. So it's just a way of pushing the child back down into a helpless, subservient childhood frame of mind it's a vicious vicious thing to do and uh, people who do it are uh, nasty petty pathetic bullies and i'll call them out every single time they they do it but um yeah you have um not had any exposure to honorable men i mean i'm not counting your current boyfriend because this is pretty new but you don't mm-hmm. have that so and and you don't have exposure to women who choose honorable decent men right when when you get when you yeah. fall down into the single mother universe good men vanish like ghosts at dawn they vanish like holograms mm-hmm. when there's a power outage right and it's not around yeah that's a crazy thing actually um my mom uh how do i say this so it kind of seems as though because she felt as though she had to work so hard to get where she is. And, you know, she was abandoned by uh, my dad and all this other stuff. She, it seems as though she really doesn't support the traditional family, you know. And so recently, like my end goal in life used to be that I wanted to have my own business for some linguistics related stuff, international relations. And she, um, she was really excited about this because she owns her own business. So she was like, this is going to be great. It's gonna be great. Well, recently I was like, I mean, you know, eventually I want to have kids, not even eventually, you know, whenever I'm a bit on the younger side, I want to have children and I want to be able to stay with my kids. I don't want to be in an occupation that's going to take me away from them really at all. And so, you know, I don't want to start this business. And she kind of like, looked at me and discussed and I was like okay so already you know the idea of me finding this great man who you know falling into the idea of wow I can trust this person I would love to start a family with someone you know and and do all these great things and be the traditional family is like has been embedded in my mind to be looked down upon which is ridiculous but well it's funny you know because i'm sorry to interrupt but there's this terrible tragedy that has gone on over the past like 60 70 years Mm -hmm. which is where women are told don't you end up dependent on a man exactly don't end up dependent on a man Mm -hmm. you've got to keep your own skills you've got to have your own occupation you've got to have your own bank account you've got to have your own savings you've got to have your do Mm -hmm. not end up dependent on a man yeah i don't believe in that well, really well, so all, well, everybody who's got any sense knows exactly what that means. If somebody keeps yelling at you, don't be dependent on a man, you're just going to have sex with guys who are undependable. <laughs> that's, that's all that's going to happen. Whoa, look at that. Yeah. Self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy. Men can't be trusted. Men are pigs. Men are scum. 
Well, then guess who the women are going to be attracted to. I mean, it's a way of programming women to aim as surely as a howitzer with a laser pointer to aim their eggs at the scuzziest men around. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's just terrible. And of course, your mom, is she going to say, yeah, traditional families are best? Of course not. Because then she'd yeah. have to say, sorry, honey, mommy screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's crazy is that I uh, confronted her. I did like a whole speech uh, in college about why spanking is wrong to sort of educate people. And I, I told her about it. I didn't even read it to her. I just told her about it. And she, you know, got angry at me. I was like, yeah, I, I am not happy that you spanked me as a kid. I'm not okay with like with that. I just I think it was wrong. And she was like, well, you weren't me. You don't know. You know, you weren't in my position. And I'm just that's just the laziest form, you know, of it's not even discipline, really. So when I, he- I don't know, I got off track because I'm no, no, so listen, no, it makes sense. Your that, your mom you know? is not comfortable. Listen, I mean, what, I yeah. I have I've done really well as a parent, and I don't look back. There very very few things do I look back with regret, and the only things that I look back with regret were just random accidents, you know, just occasional things that happen. But mm. and so I, I but I I, I I I can't picture what it's like to have done something like put your child in the care of people who end up molesting your child. Like I, Kayla, I, I can't fathom what that must be like. Yeah. I can't fathom how you would not spend the rest of your natural born life just apologizing for that. Like I, I can't imagine. Hey, here, you go to this safe place, honey. I'm the adult. I'm the one who's supposed to keep you safe. I have chosen this pedophile to take care of you. Yeah. Now, of course, oh, I didn't know she was a pedophile. That's kind of the point. That's kind of the point. You don't let your children go with anyone. You don't trust 150%. You don't let your children go with anyone. You don't trust 150%. I don't care if you have to stay home in a nun's outfit till you're 30. That's what you do. Yeah. And this happened twice. And she yelled at you the second time. <sighs> she yelled at you. Mom, and I think that I was your goddamn job to keep Kayla safe. Your job. You don't yell at the six-year-old after you put him in the care of a molester twice. Your job to keep that child safe. You failed, not the child. You failed in the most elemental job as a parent don't let your kids get molested. You failed twice. And you yelled at her. Come on. It's not just men you've That's, not seen a lot of trustworthiness from, is it? I guess not really, no. Um, that was one of the things that I had mentioned to you, uh, or I wrote on my survey before calling in. Um that any sort of emotional uh, action was usually greeted with anger and stuff like that. So whenever I was a kid, if I would get super emotional um, about anything, it could even just be me getting emotional and saying, wow, like I'm so happy that, you know, you're my parent. I'm so happy about this and stuff. It was always just sort of greeted with like 
what like why why are you showing emotion i guess and you know if i would get spanked and i would cry it was straighten up your face straighten up your face or if we were in public and i would get yelled at um it was you know what i mean always the same thing and so dealing with and openly discussing my emotions is not something that i've ever been really skilled at you know and so that's why like when i finally was able to say hey like i don't like that you did this to me whenever i was a kid and she immediately responded with you know well you didn't know um it didn't hit me as hard as it would have if i was younger because i'm sort of more self-aware about it now you know what i mean i've kind of been able to see that this isn't really a rational response this isn't really i shouldn't feel bad for opening up about something just because she doesn't like what I opened up about. And why do you think, she why do you think she didn't or doesn't like your emotions? I don't know. I think that I honestly, I don't know. And I'm also trying to figure this out because I feel like if I can figure it out, then I can find another approach and I'll finally be able to openly discuss my emotions with her but I think that she's also a super emotional person you know and so everything hits her hard maybe I don't know maybe she's not good at dealing with her own emotions so she doesn't like having to deal with other people all right like, all right enough theorizing <laughs> I'm yeah, afraid that's just that's just a word salad I'm afraid I'll tell you yeah. what I think which doesn't mean that I'm right as always I'll just tell you what I think mm-hmm There was um, one time I was running late for a, an important am- appointment. I was bringing my daughter, and she got upset about something right before she, right before we left. Now, that was a moment. I got to get somewhere. My daughter's very upset. That's a conflict. I can only get where I'm going on time if I ignore to some degree, or minimize, or hurry her along when she's upset. And if I stop to deal with her being upset, I'm not going to get to the important appointment on time. Her emotions were inconvenient to what I needed to do. Now, that was very rare, and of course, I stopped and dealt with her emotions and phoned and said I was going to be late, and, you know, we dealt with it, right? Mm -hmm. But if you can sort of put yourself in the state of mind of a parent who's like, you 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 you've got to, like you've got to get somewhere like i don't know like a plane or something like something very important and your kid is upset it's easy to feel annoyed at the child mm-hmm. especially because if it's something like this wasn't the case with my daughter but let's say it was something like i can't find my stuffed toy Right, you can understand. I think you can. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying do it, but of course you can understand that as a parent, it's like the stuffed toy isn't important. Yeah. We've got to go, right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, if you've been a good parent, your kid's going to dig their heels in, right? <laughs> Rather than just mm-hmm. soullessly comply like some limp robot, right? Yeah. So, what I'm trying to say, Kayla, what I'm in my roundabout way trying to get across, is that I think it's entirely possible that. Your emotions were inconvenient to your mother. Your emotions were troublesome to your mother. Your emotions would cause your mother to feel negative emotions. 
your emotions mm-hmm. would cause your mother to have to make changes in her life that she just didn't want to make, or your emotions would cause your mother to have to make admissions in her life that she just didn't want to admit. Your emotions would have threatened your mother's view of herself and her competence and her virtue in some foundational way. So your emotions were a kind of predator stalking her false self, her beliefs about herself that weren't true. And so they had to be kept in bay. You lock up a tiger in the house. And if there's an authenticity around you that by its very nature and honesty and goodness is threatening your false view of yourself, you must keep it caged. You must keep it silent, underground. You must keep it at bay. So what you felt was the opposite in some way of how your mother was living or what your mother believed about herself, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. And I thought about that before, you know, the idea of she feels as though maybe I'm attacking her personally, and that's why. Well, aren't you? I'm not criticizing you for doing it, but if you say... Mom, it was not good to spank me. And people, people who don't have any confidence or don't have a lot of confidence will always feel the criticism as some sort of malevolent personal attack designed to destroy them, right? But that's mm-hmm. cowardice. And that's what, what it does is it allows them to escalate things to the point where they can just scream other people to silence and feel justified, right? Mm-hmm. Like you bring up something negative or bring up something critical of your parent if your parent doesn't have the ego strength or doesn't have the maturity or doesn't have the courage to listen or if it's after the time you know once you become an adult and i tell you this is just my opinion again but kayla once you become an adult parenting is done hell i mean a good chunk of my parenting is done my daughter's eight a good chunk of my parenting is done You know, like, there's no point for you now going to your mom and saying, Mom, it'd be great if you didn't put me under the care and control of any pedophile babysitters again. Right? Mm -hmm. That's done. That's what I mean when I say, I mean, adults can certainly be sexually attacking someone, but it's not the same as being molested as a child because you're an adult. You're independent. You have access to the law you have, right? So, criticizing, I don't know, once you become an adult... Criticizing parents, it has value because it reveals to you the true nature of your relationship. But it's not like a lot of stuff can be fixed. I mean, stuff can be admitted Mm -hmm. to, and I think that's helpful. But it's not like a lot of stuff can be fixed because you're an adult. Their job was years in the past. If they fell down and failed on the job, well, it's too late to fix it. And a lot of times when people have left a problem fester for so long, to the point where there's really, you can't go back and fix it, then they don't want to hear anything about it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Do you have any access to guess, uh, therapy? Um, I do not, know. It's expensive. What about and, um, college? Um, yes, I'm currently in college yeah you know you might have access to um therapeutic resources through your student union or 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 through other 
I, I would look into that. Well, currently I'm in a, uh, I'm attending a junior college, which is just to get my associates and then past that I'm going to, you know, further my education immediately. But, um, as of now, I don't really have access to much. The school is just sort of focused on getting your credits and get out. <laughs> so would you, um, would you let, would you let us help? I would, but <laughs> good, good. You know what? Then that's all you need to say. Just two words is all I need from you, sweetie. <laughs> no, I mean, if if you let us help, uh, let us know. You know, I mean, I'd like to help listeners. And in particular, I think good therapists can be very, very helpful with this kind of stuff. You don't want to sort of smack around trying to figure things out if a good therapist can help you, right? Yes. So, I mean, don't, don't you know, your, your heart is a fragile organ. You know, they say the heart is an organ of fire uh, if you're in some never-ending <laughs> movie with Ray Fiennes, but um, <laughs> it's not. A heart, heart is an organ of eggshells. And I don't want to see you bouncing around like a pinball, ending up breaking your heart in five more relationships before you figure stuff out. If this guy is from a good family and, and he's a guy you really like and so on, then um, what you can do or what I request you do is, you know, call around, talk to a few people, uh, see if, you know, see if they'll spend a little bit of time with you on the phone, ask you know, what their therapeutic approach is. I've got a podcast called How to Find a Good Therapist, which is my sort of opinions about it. And if you can find a good uh, therapist, just get a quote, uh, send it in to Mike, and we'll um, we'll work on covering it, all right? That's amazing. Thank oh, you so much. My pleasure, my pleasure. Listen, you are a, you're a, great, a great woman, and you have been hard done by, and you need, you need better treatment. You need... Um, you need a a crack in the sky to let the sun sunlight in and let these plants grow. So whatever I can do or we can do to help you with that, we're happy to do. So uh, will you will you do that? Yes, I will. Excellent. All right. And keep us posted about how things go. And again, my very, very deepest sympathies for what happened to you as a child. There is a great life ahead. You have to earn it. But earning it makes it even sweeter. If you've ever been desperately thirsty and then you get that bottle of water that's got sweat dripping yeah. down the sides it's so cold that's the best tasting <laughs> water you're going to have so i hope that you will take us up on this keep us posted thank you so much for your time today kayla will do thank you all right take care all right up next we have marco marco wrote in and said how do you feel about the general viewpoint of the west being the villain by trying to act as a cop and constantly financing the rebelling, more often than not, terrorist factions in various countries like Syria, Iraq, and Yugoslavia. There's a good portion of people in the Balkans who feel as if their countries are being colonized, mainly by Germany and the U.S. What are your thoughts on this form of brutal capitalism? That's from Marco. Brutal capitalism? Uh, what do you mean? We call it neoliberal capitalism, but, you know, the companies come and buy land, they buy everything, and then they just uh, use us as a cheap workforce. Feels bad. So the West, okay, um, the West being a villain by trying to act as a cop and constantly financing the rebelling. Well, okay, when you say the West, what do you mean? Do you think do you think uh, that private individuals are doing this? Partly, 
let's say, partly. I think it's mainly the U.S. and Germany. Right, but do you think it's the governments or the citizens? Uh, the governments. Okay, good. Uh, so once we understand that it's the governments, we can stop slandering capitalism for what the state is doing. I'm not. In, uh, I'm actually a capitalist myself, but uh, I don't like this form of capitalism—the colonization. You know. All right. Let's deal with these as, as two issues, um, and I one is is very easy: the idea of, of of financing terrorist factions in Syria, Iraq, Yugoslavia, and so on. Horrendous. The, the, the West should just goddamn well go home and stay home. You have enough problems in your own damn countries without going around poking the hornet's nests all over the world. And some of the problems in your own countries are directly the result of this poking of the hornet's nests all over the world. So no, I am not a fan. I am a, a, a bitter, deep, and committed enemy to this kind of foreign policy. So... I hope that, you know, and the fact that there are the, the refugees from Ukraine that nobody's taking in tells you all you need to know about the feral left and their love affair with the third world. So, yes, stop funding terrorist organizations. Stop manipulating countries around the world. And for God's sake, stop selling arms to every asshole dictatorship with a turban that you can find anywhere in the world. For God's sakes, just stop it. Just stop it. Oh, but jobs depend on it. It's like, yep. And those jobs should go the fuck away. Those jobs should vanish like a demon exercise from the rotating head of an eight-year-old girl. That stuff should go. Yes, those jobs will go away. And as a bonus, you might need fewer soldiers. And as a bonus, you might need less rigorous screening at airports. And as a bonus, you won't have to take in all these supposed refugees. Because there won't be all this instability that makes everyone think that everyone fleeing from Africa and associated countries has anything to do with being a refugee, which they don't. The vast majority of them. So, yeah, horrible stuff. Um, It is one of the greatest evils that goes on in the world. The evils that go on within the country are terrible enough, but the evils go on between countries, even worse in in many ways. So... As far as companies coming in and you say they're they're buying land, right? Yeah, they're buying everything. Uh, basically, they then employ us as cheap workforce. Well, why don't you start a company and compete with them? Well, it's a it's a bit tough, you know. We have a traitor government. Oh, so is the government preventing you from starting companies to compete with the foreigners? It's a bit difficult to explain, you know, our salaries are like 300 euros. It's, I'm not exactly complaining too hard, but... Uh, no, but why, have... why can't your local entrepreneurs who speak the language, who know the customs, who know the people, who have contacts, who have a basis in the community, why can't your local entrepreneurs start these companies oh. instead? Oh, there are, there are people doing that. However, the big issue is uh, most of the people living in Serbia today are uh, Yugoslavs in the sense of they are leftists, uh, socialists. So you already can guess uh, how that is going to look. You know, they're like, uh, it's difficult to explain. Oh, no, I get it. Leftists invade like termites. Yeah. And they relentlessly destroy any shred of freedom that they can find so that they can end up replacing voluntarism with the violence that they feast on. Indeed. 
I mean, they're always giving away something that doesn't belong to them. You know, it's like... Uh, it's the one shitty thing about uh, communism and uh, all the left stuff. But Marco... Yep. Ostracize leftists. Set up uh, people who say, hell no, I'm not buying from these socialist oh. entrepreneurs. No, I'm not buying these products. I don't care if they're cheaper. I don't, I'm not buying that shit. Look, people do this all the time. The left is well organized. The left punches back hard. Why do you think people are complaining and people even give a shit that people are complaining about the fact that there aren't enough people from Ethiopia in the World War II French movie Dunkirk? The reason that they're doing that is because people will bitch at everyone about lack of representation of minorities in these movies. It's like, go make your own goddamn war movies. If you're someone from the Inuit or you're an Eskimo or whatever, and you think that there aren't enough Inuit or Eskimo in a European war movie, go make your own damn war movie. Go write your own script. Go raise your own money. Go write your own damn thing. Just bitch at people and say, hire more of us. Hire more of us. Tell your own damn stories. Jesus Christ. But the reason that this is even given any credence at all is the left is organized, the left boycotts, the left causes trouble, the left writes letters, the left gets outraged, the left protests. You're going to have to do it, people. You're going to have to get off your asses. I know it's tough. You've got jobs. They don't. You're going to have to get off your asses, and you're going to have to start organizing, and you're going to have to start making trouble the same way the left makes trouble. Because what happens is the left fucks people up and then the right responds with recent arguments and evidence. Hey, newsflash, pro tip, not working, not working. You need to organize boycotts. You need to mess people up legally, peacefully, right? You need to expose people. You need to ask people to to disavow people. Follow Mike Cernovich on Twitter. He's a past master at this stuff. But you need to organize and you need to start letter writing campaigns and you need to start boycotting and you need to start causing trouble the way the left causes trouble. Because we are in such a degraded moral state as a society that it is only the squeaky, whiny, bitter, black-clad, Starbucks-smashing wheel that gets the grease. It is the feminists will organize, the, the gay mafia will organize, the leftists will organize and they will attack and they will cause trouble and they will make waves. And you have to do it. There's none of this, well, they go low and we go high. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because people are like, oh, well, those people, they can harm my economic interests. They can cause trouble for me. Those people, well, they can't really do anything to me. I'm going to appease those people. Appeasement runs the world, people. Appeasement runs the world. Mm -hmm. You know, in Tommy Robinson's book, Muslim kid gets arrested. The enemy of the state. You should read it. Muslim kid gets arrested. And the imams all say to the British police, well, if you don't release him, we can't control the Muslim youth. So what happens? They let him out. Because, because appease. Appease, appease, appease. That's where the world is. The powers that be appease whoever is making the most trouble for them. And if that's the left, they'll appease the left. They don't care about reason and evidence and arguments and facts. I got a whole presentation called Facts Don't Matter. Facts don't matter to people. What matters is getting through the day with the least amount of problems possible. Getting through the day without anyone yelling at them or anyone causing trouble or anyone bitching at them or anyone doing anything. Appease, appease, appease. That's how people run. That is the sad, sorry, pitiful, degraded state of the West. Governments 
businesses, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, you name it. They appease in general. Mm-hmm. And I love YouTube. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> but if you're just yes. going to sit there and say, well, I don't want it and not do anything to encourage people to act on their values, you say, don't buy from that company. They're fueled by leftists. Don't spend money there. That's whoever. Yeah. Right? Yes, I mean, indeed. we just have to start. The, look, look what... Look what they're doing to the colleges that suppress free speech. They're going there and they're downvoting them on social media. And they are convincing the alumni to stop giving them money. And they're convincing people to not go to those colleges. And some of those colleges, enrollment is down 40%. Hit them in the wallet. Hit them in the nads, (laughs) metaphorically, right? Hit them where it hurts, which is prestige, reputation, income, stability. And you can do all of this perfectly legally and perfectly peacefully. I'm not saying go to the sort of shitty leftist standard. I mean, obviously don't go to like hitting people with bike locks. That's the leftist extremist shit. Nothing like that. But there's voluntarism and ostracism. I've said this for 10 years. Ostracism. It's ostracism or tyranny. Those are the only two choices we have in society when it comes to organizing things. Ostracism or tyranny. And I wrote about this. Way back in the day, I wrote about this in my very first book, On Truth, The Tyranny of Evolution. I wrote about it in Everyday Anarchy. I wrote about it in Practical Anarchy. I wrote about it in Real-Time Relationship, The Logic of Love. I wrote about it in UPB. You might say I have a bit of a theme. If you're not willing to inflict ostracism, what good are you to any kind of movement? If you're not willing to make trouble for people, what use are you? You're just a reason and evidence typist. Go watch my video called The Death of Reason. People do not make decisions rationally. I hope in the future they will. They do not. They are appeasing machines. They are appeasement machines. That's all they are. And if the left causes more trouble, the left will win. It's that simple. Indeed. Also, the big issue with the left is uh, they've been killing our national identity since the 40s, since they came in power, you know. So we've been left with this... uh, this strange uh, country, which isn't even representative of what it used to be, um, we lost the compass. So, yeah, I sincerely hope uh, nothing like this happens in the West ever. What? What? Leftists what? don't infiltrate the West? I don't understand what you mean. Uh, ah, no, not that. But uh, you know, losing your national identity, as in, you know, uh, you don't think the West is you. <laughs> Losing their national identity? Are you kidding me? Do you, do you know Dunkirk was an amazing movie about how hard white oh. British men had to fight to keep foreigners from coming in and taking over the country? Boy, good thing they made all those sacrifices now, isn't it? Was that the event in which uh, the Germans uh, could have drowned uh, 300,000 British soldiers, right? Hitler let them go. He didn't want a war with England. He, he respected the British Empire. Anyway. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Mm. It is happening all over the West, and it's going to keep happening until... Now, do you understand? The powers that be desperately want only one group to appease. Yeah. See, because because the the left was first in causing all this trouble, the left has a monopoly on this victim politics and this social justice warrior hyper-aggression, right? Yeah, And so if the right continues to just use all this reason and evidence, 
the powers that be are relatively happy because there's no obvious conflict. If the right starts to cause trouble in the way that the left has been causing trouble for the last hundred years, well, then the powers that be are going to be in a big problem. They're going to have a big problem because what they've been doing now is they've been appeasing the left and sacrificing the right. And they're happy to keep doing that because the left has proven themselves to be trouble makers and the right has been proven themselves to be, you know, mere reason and evidence appeasers and so on. And so not only the left, but also the powers that be are heavily committed, heavily committed to pushing down any sign, any evidence, even the slightest whiff of the possibility that the right is going to start deploying the tactics of the left. Because if the right starts deploying the tactics of the left, not only will the right start to win, but then the powers that be are going to have two factions fighting, neither of which are going to back down. That's not very comfortable for the powers that be. Like if you have, if you're a, a crappy parent, right, and you have, you have a brother and your sister, and the brother's always bullying the sister and the sister always backs down. Well, if you're a parent and you're a crappy parent, you want that to continue because as soon as the sister starts fighting back, your job as a parent becomes that much harder. And so as soon as the right starts taking up the troublemaking characteristics of the left, the legal ones, then the, the, the powers that be, they have a big problem on their hands, which is that they can't appease everyone now. They, they can't make everyone, quote, happy in the moment because they have two forces in direct conflict with each other. And people will work like hell to avoid that. But the people who have right on their side sure as hell shouldn't. So, okay, I'm going to move on to the next caller, but I do appreciate your call in and thank you for letting me have the rant. We'll do one uh, final call for the night. All right, up next we have Josh. Josh wrote in and said, The question I ask relates to not only Syrian refugees, but to all other less well-off people around the world in comparison to the Western world. When is it acceptable to allow people to die in deplorable conditions? That's from Josh. Hey, Josh, how you doing? I'm around yourself, Stefan. Well, thanks. Um, Why do you refer to them as Syrian refugees? Uh, because that's what the media has been refer, refer, uh, sorry, refer, wow, okay, referring to them as. And that's how people would more recognize them as. And if you called them, you know, uh, migrants, then everyone's just going to make the connotation that they are the Syrian refugees anyway, even though most of them are not. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important not to concede the language anyway, but uh, I just want to point that out. Well, <clears throat> let me ask you this. What are you doing? about people dying in deplorable conditions around the world. What's your activity in that area? Not a damn thing. All right. So why do you care about the question if you're not doing anything about it? Because as you've been saying with the social justice left and the allowance of migrants into Europe from deplorable conditions, it does have an impact on the Western world, mainly Europe for the time being. But it's going to slowly seep into our side of the ocean. And whenever you talk to people about this, they always say something along the lines of, they're just coming here because they want a better life. They just want to get out of the deplorable conditions that they're going to die in, whether it be war torn Syria or apparently the deplorable condition that is Africa. So it's come down to the, the, the dichotomy of leaving them there, or this is how it's presented, the conundrum they're left there to die or they're brought here for a better life 
So between those two, leaving them there to die is, well, in my self-interest, the more preferable option. What do you mean leaving them there to die? I don't understand what that, what that means. I mean, they're not fucking helpless dolls. They don't lack will or, or, or the capacity to think. Right. I mean, I don't know what it means. Like, I'm not some god along the world that, that can let people to die or save people from death. I mean, I would leave them there to die. They're not, they're not tied and bound at the bottom of a canyon or something. I got not a hiking companion. I don't know what it means to say allow people to die in deplorable conditions. The West has developed the free market. They're welcome to adopt the free market. It's not patented. The West has developed the separation of church and state, which cost centuries of religious warfare from fundamentalists. Separation of church and state. They're welcome to adopt that anywhere in the world. Nobody's going to stop them. The West yeah, has absolutely. developed a sense of egalitarianism between men and women. It may have gone a little bit too far towards gynocentrism, and so on probably has. But uh, yeah, you could uh, work for equal rights from... Women, the West has developed some more peaceful methods of child raising. Again, not patented. You could choose not to beat your children. You could use you could you could choose not to indoctrinate them in brutal ideologies. I don't understand what it means. Everything there is free, and you don't have to come to the West to get it. Because they're ideas. The ideas can be transferred across the borders. We have the internet. So you can get the great ideas the West has got, and you can implement them in your own country. I don't know what it means to say that just allowing people to die. Then let me pre let me preface it then. Well, if you're talking to a leftist and you're you know talking about the migrant crisis and you say no, they should not be allowed here. Usually, what they will respond with is something along the lines of. Well, we don't, they're just trying to get to a better life, right? Sure, I, I get that. I mean, I, I you know, if, if I go and, if someone goes and steals someone else's identity and assumes their identity and, you know, I mean, that, that they have a better life. They have access to that person's credit. And maybe they can even get into their house. And I mean, a, a better life. Why do they need to travel to the West to get a better life? Why don't they just create countries that are better? Uh, beats me. Apparently, the left thinks they can't. Well, of course, if they can't live in a free society that they create themselves, what makes anyone think they can live in a free society in the West? If enough people that in the Middle East want freedom, they'll get freedom. What did people in the West do for freedom? They fought like hell for it. There were civil wars, there were revolutions, there were peaceful revolutions, there were intellectual revolutions. That's how the West got its freedom. I don't Absolutely. like. I don't understand what it, these are. They helpless. If they're helpless, they're not going to fit into the West because the West is about conscience and self determinism and free will and moral responsibility. If they're helpless playthings of their environment, how are they going to fit in the West? If they're not, the West has already developed the intellectual framework for a free and productive society. It's not complicated. Free market, separation of church and state, equality under the law. It's not that complicated. And so. Why can't they do it? Well, we know why they can't do it. At least there's some good ideas as to why they can't do it. They can't do it because you have IQ 80 to 85. They can't do it any more than Detroit can do it. 
any more than sub-Saharan Africa can do it, any more than the indigenous aboriginals or the pygmies in the Amazon rainforest can do it, because they don't have the intellectual horsepower on average to defer gratification and achieve freedom. So even people raised in the relative freedoms of the West who have an IQ average of 85 can't reliably as a community achieve those freedoms. So we know why. It's IQ and ideology. And so if the IQ and ideology is there, bringing them to the West won't change that. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's the thing when it comes to debating leftists and anybody who wants to bring migrants here who use that argument. And I bring this up to you, sir, because nobody is willing to say, leave them there. Whenever some, whenever the argument comes up, they're just coming here for a better life. Everybody just tries to dance around it. Just dance around saying, no, leave them there. If they die, they die. That sucks because that's what the left makes it sound like. If they stay there, they're going to die in deplorable conditions. And maybe, I'm sure many of them will, but as opposed to bringing them here where, you know, assimilation is proving quite difficult for them and leaving them there, I personally Well, no, see, but this is a false dichotomy. There's, There's no, I personally am happy to help people in the Middle East, personally. Look, I've made the case before. It's worth making it again. And you've probably heard it, but just for those who haven't, you can help 12 people in the Middle East for every one person you bring into the West. Clearly, there are hundreds and hundreds of millions of people in the Middle East who would like to live in the West. Can they all come? No. But that will completely destroy the economies of the West because of the welfare state and and, and so on, right? And, And the extraordinary expense of... Uh, language and cultural issues and and needs for translation and you name it, right? I mean, it completely destroyed the economies of the West. And then you have a bunch of people who've left their homeland, tried to integrate into the West, and the West has collapsed economically. What the hell? That cannot be considered anyone's solution, right? And so... solution. So help people in the Middle East. But the best way to help people in the Middle East is to... Find the political leaders in the West who started the wars in the Middle East and throw them in jail. International war crime of aggression. Throw them in jail. Absolutely. Because that way, people, political leaders, might think twice before bombing the shit out of the entire Middle East. Absolutely. I'm talking about 2003 Bush, I'm talking about Tony Blair, I'm talking about Barack Obama, all people who bombed with no declaration of war, or who bombed with no justification of self-defense, or who invaded with no justification of self-defense. Iraq posed no threat to the United States or to England. So the idea that you can just go invade countries, because... (sighs) Groups of people with highly conflicted interests say, oh, no, you'll be greeted as liberators. You'll bouquets and flowers. The idea that we're going to solve this by just letting the political leaders get away with crimes against humanity and then taking all of the displaced people or some of the displaced people or everyone who's hiding amongst all those displaced peoples. Come on. 
This is not how you solve problems. You stop no, sending foreign aid, which destroys the local economies. You stop arming governments around the world. You stop invading and bombing countries. You stop arming insurgents. You stay the fuck home. And you stop meddling with eternal weaponry in the most volatile regions in the known universe. I mean, it's not that the, it's not that the West is, is failing to help. The West has been trying to manage the Middle East for hundreds of years. Just stop it. Just stop it. Absolutely. And I am in full 100% agreement with you, sir, that this is a problem that, well, the West has brought on itself. And by the West, I mean the Western governments, of course. This is a problem we brought on ourselves. So, I mean, this whole thing could have been avoided if we just minded our own fucking business as we should have. Right. And uh, the people who were pro-war, they have some responsibility in the matter. Hang on a sec. My camera's going all foggy. Wait till the camera. Yes. And, well, you remember the propaganda phrase that, ha- that was pretty prominent during the Iraq war, right? Support the troops. I'm pretty sure we all remember that. Oh, yeah. So where are these same people when the troops are dying more from suicide than, you know, fighting in the wars? Where are those people? You mean the R-selected people who like watching K-selected people die? I think that they're enjoying it with a bowl of popcorn, frankly. (laughs) Ouch. But probably more accurate than we're willing to admit, mainly because this is one of my bigger problems with a lot of people, is there's a lot of talk, no action. I don't... I have made it quite clear. I don't care about the people, you know, dying in, of deplore, dying in deplorable conditions in Africa. I'm honest about that. I don't care. They're not. They're not connected to me. They are not. Well, part no. Of my so I'm life. sorry to interrupt you. I I think you and I would care insofar as by dumping massive amounts of free food and free foreign aid in these countries, as well as destroying their local economies with free food and free foreign aid. The West has stimulated an unsustainable population growth in Africa. Very true, yes. Right, so I'm just... the, the people would not be having eight kids if there was not enough food. They would restrain their fertility, as human beings are wont to do. So we've just dumped massive amounts of food into Africa, and lo and behold, looky-la, you've got massive amounts of Africans. So I really think it's very cruel to stimulate the production of human life that can't be sustained in the current environment. Because if the West stops dumping all this free food and free aid into Africa, what's going to happen? Brutal civil wars, overthrows, dictatorships, mass mig It's horrible. And so I care. I don't want people to be brought into this world in order to suffer and die in pointless civil wars and, and revolutions and, and riots and fights over food. I think it's terrible. I think it's terrible. I don't think that's right at all. But now that the situation has been created, now the situation has been created, to ask the people who were opposed to the policies that produce the situation to deal with the, to sacrifice for the solution is insane. It's like only drafting the people who were against the Iraq war. Right? Right. I should not suffer for the result of policies that I have strongly opposed my entire adult life that I have argued against for 30 years. They fucked up Africa. 
by dumping all this free food and free resources and selling a shitload of weaponry to despotic governments. They fucked up Africa. And they, the political elites, the leaders, the the people who profited from it, they should be the ones to pay. It was wrong to steal from people in the West and dump massive amounts of free stuff into Africa. You have an IQ 70 to 85 population, they're just going to have lots of kids. You know, high IQ populations restrain their breeding when there are excess resources. Low IQ populations breed to carrying capacity. The carrying capacity is unsustainable. It's literally like feeding, I mean, this is a silly analogy, but it's like feeding your, your garden, seeding it with like incredible food for rabbits until there are thousands of rabbits and then cutting the food off. That's just sadistic, you understand. Oh, look at the rabbits starve. Look at the rabbits fight. You crazy? This is evil. It's so wrong. It's unholy. It's satanic. It's demonic. So I care. Now, I have my life to live. I have my values to pursue. I have my family to raise. I have my listenership to court and please. So I don't sort of sit there and wake up, you know, 500 times a night saying somebody else died somewhere in the world. (laughs) You know, everybody... (laughs) goes along with their life, right? But I can certainly see the bigger picture and how horrible it has been. Um, the, the new and even more brutal colonialism of foreign aid has been more, far more destructive than colonialism could ever be, even as it's portrayed. Yes. Um, what I was getting at, though, was when you see these people say they care, they w- ask them what they do personally, and you'll find that they don't do anything. They call on governments to do their work for them, pretty much like they do everything else. Have you been and following the J.K. Rowling thing at all? <laughs> yes, on Twitter? I <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't... I J.K. Rowling, big, big fan of the migrants. Big fan of the migrants. And Mike Cernovich is like, hey, you've got like 30 bedrooms. Let I will pay for the migrants' flights to get to your house. How do we make this happen? No reply. Oh, and yeah, then, I mean, she, she put out something... About Donald Trump not wanting to touch a boy in a wheelchair, which was a complete lie. He did hug the boy and all that kind of stuff. It's still up. You know, I don't know, J.K. Rowling. Like, what can I say? Write an evil, fictionalized villain. Cool. Be a real, non-fictionalized villain. Not cool. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, but that, that, that's what I'm talking about. When you call them out on their bullshit, and this happens to a lot of people who do not, as you say, have facts and arguments and logic backing them. When you call them out on their bullshit and, in, and inconsistencies, what do they do? They either shut down or they lash out with yeah. self-righteous indignation they have not earned. And all they have, all they have is emotional gratification in the moment where they've decided that they don't need to see into the future. They don't need to see the consequences, the longer-term consequences. All they want to do is feel good in the moment. But it's an addiction, right? um, Virtue signaling is an addiction. This pomposity of looking good rather than doing good is an addiction. And what do drug addicts do when you take away their supply? They manipulate, they attack, they wheedle, they cajole, they lie, they brutalize, they abuse, they, I mean, they just do whatever they can to get their drug. Absolutely. And this kind of dopamine hit, this shitty dopamine hit of, well, people, I'm going to say the right thing. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a very elaborate and elegant fuck you to anybody who's got a rational view of the world. 
You know, hey, you know, resources are limited. We can't do everything. You know, oh, well, I just care about people. It's like, <laughs> I mean, what do, you, what do you even say to people like that? You tell them to fuck off. You know, we you tell we have a thousand people in the ocean and we have life lifeboats for a hundred. Well, I just care about people. Well, I know who's going off the lifeboat now. <laughs> <laughs> Use that altruism. Good job. <laughs> so... What I was what 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 I was wanting to get at with this was that the fact of the matter is is that in this view, in the leftist view, and yes, it is a false dichotomy, but it is a dichotomy that the mainstream media portrays, that uh, social justice portrays, that these people are going to stay in these areas, these deplorable areas, and they're going to die unless they are brought uh, to Europe for a better life. Or but that's you just know, false. That, Again, I mean, yes, it's, it's just. I just, you know, they don't know the history, they don't know the opportunities, they don't know the possibilities. You know, Saudi Arabia has a tent city that can house hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. They've taken virtually no one. There are tons of countries around now. People say, well, no one in the Middle East has taken anyone. That's not exactly true. There are people who have been taken by other Middle Eastern countries. But uh, this is not, why, why does Europe have to solve this problem? The Middle East, the, the, the Muslim world is fantastically wealthy in many ways. They have they stole a bunch of Western oil companies and have been milking it ever since. Um, why Why do Christians and, and agnostics and atheists have to solve problems in Muslim countries involving Muslims? I, why? I mean, did, did the Muslim world say, oh, don't worry, Europe, you're having a world war, we'll take everyone? They didn't. Right? No. But if you, but it, But if you ask people, they'll say because, you know, the United States government and the Western governments went in and fucked everything up. Great. Then we should throw people in jail. Then we should, we should punish people. You know, if, if someone goes and commits a crime, we don't ask everyone in the neighborhood to suffer as a result. We take that person, we identify them, and we throw them in jail as a disincentive for other people and as a promise that it's not going to recur. Yeah. And, and this goes back to what you said in the other call about um, – I'm allowed to mention that, right? I hope I am. Uh, about – you know, the right needing to throw a fit about the right needing to get some results finally. The left's been getting results. And as we both know, results are what matter at the end of the day. At least that's, that's what, all that matters at least, fundamentally. Yeah, you know, like when I was that, going through chemo, you know what I cared about? The result. That's all I cared about. Absolutely. And that's that's the thing. Results are what matter. The left's been getting the results. They're still getting the results. If the right wants anything to get done – by the way, we want it to get done. We need to switch up tactics that get results. What we've been doing so far with using logic and reason and evidence, which you've said the left does, which the left has pretty much a shield around their head where they won't accept it, it's not working. No. So telling them about the history or anything of that like in the, for the Muslim world, that's not going to do any good. I mean, the Republicans. So <laughs> Fucking Republicans. Jesus Christ. I know. It's what, a, what, a, what, a, what a fraudulent fucking organization. How many hundreds of millions of dollars did those bastards raise on the promise of repealing Obamacare? Give to us. We'll repeal Obamacare. Donate to us so we can repeal Obamacare. Fucking fraud. They have now been trying. They've had the majority for a long time and they have tried and they have tried and they won't fucking do it. That's fraud to me. Give me $500, I'll ship you an iPad. Thanks for $500. Here's a piece of shit in an iPad box. Are you happy oh, now? That, 
Absolute fraud. They made a promise. Damn it. They took hundreds of millions of dollars, raised hundreds of millions of dollars to deliver mostly one thing, repealing Obamacare. Not, and this is how pathetic it's become for Republicans in the West prior to Donald Trump. This is how sad it is. They're not asking for a fully free market in healthcare. They're just saying, take this semi-fascistic Obamacare shit off our necks. That's all they're asking for. They're not saying, can we go back to 1776? They're not saying, can we go back to 1911? They're saying, can we just go back to before Obamacare? We're not talking 100 years or 50 years of rolling shit back. We're just talking a couple of years back. No! (laughs) Oh, it's sad. It's sad. John McCain? John fucking McCain. (sighs) The tumor had something to do with it. Just pretend the tumor had something to do with it. I got to think if the tumor feeds on integrity, it's going to have a pretty fucking hungry life ahead of it. (laughs) John McCain, I'm campaigning to repeal Obamacare. Here's your chance, John. Go. I know it's not perfect. It may not have even been great, but at least that's what you promised. No, now I'm going to go over and giggle with the Democrats. Let's see Trump make America great now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I prefer people who weren't captured, too. Okay. Um, okay, so there was another part to this quote, to um, the deplorable conditions thing. And it's not to do with uh, refugees or migrants. It's actually to do with people who've made terrible fucking decisions in the first world, such as uh, a single mother who slept around with like five guys and has five different children, Mm. and she is unable to care for those children. Wait, why is she Uh, unable to care for them? uh, Between working and actually being around. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I'm making a lot of leaps. She has no, no. Come on. You're just setting up helplessness the same way that leftists do with the migrants. Yeah, yeah. Of course, that, she's able to care for the kids. Because well, actually, let's say, let, look, let's say there are six, there are seven single moms in an apartment building, and trust me, apartment buildings are full of them. I grew up in one. There are right. seven single moms in an apartment building. So what do they do? They all get together in the lobby and they say, okay, I work Monday, you take care of kids Monday. I work Tuesday, you care of kids. I work Monday. Right? They can figure it out. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Now, if they can't figure it out, if they can't even figure out how to take care of their children, should they even be voting? Come on. I mean, they can't even tie their shoes. Of course they can. If they can't figure out how to take care of their kids, then somebody else needs to be taking care of their kids. I wish the world worked that way. No, the world would work exactly that way if the government wasn't propping up all these terrible decisions and subsidizing everyone. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the way the world works, is the government's propping up bad decisions. Uh, but anyway, you you know that, so you've seen, you know this. This is one of those ANCAP traps where you've taken this helpless situation where you've got the false dichotomy of either the government does it or it's not going to get done at all, Right. And you've got this situation where if you're, an, if you're an anarchist where you have to say either let the children starve or let the government come in and you know, rescue the woman, the single mother, from her bad decisions. And that, that's, that's the framework they work in. I know it's a stupid framework. It's not rational in the least. Yeah, that so go on with why you're bringing it all up. Right, go ahead. <laughs> because that's their frame of mind. And 
what needs what I would like to see is people answer honestly within that little framework. No, that framework you can't win. Just jump out. Just say to them, okay, how do you pay off the national debt? Simple. Let's say to the left, it's okay. The U.S. has $150 trillion in unfunded liabilities. How are you going to pay for it? The U.S. government has promised more than $150 trillion. It has no money to pay. How are you going to pay for it? We're going to raise taxes on the wealthy. Okay, show me the math. Show me the fucking math, genius. Good luck. Uh, magic? (laughs) Right? (laughs) And it's like, okay, listen, there's... (laughs) <laughs> there's uh, one of my favorite movies called the room of the view i've never seen it <clears throat> you should watch it it's a it's a great movie it's a great great movie and okay. um in it i won't get into the details but in it one guy asks a bunch of questions of another guy and he's, they don't really have an answer and he's like oh so you haven't really thought about this seriously at all so why should i bother listening it's like, blah, 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 blah. Okay, the U.S., how much does the U.S. have in unfunded liabilities? Oh, I don't know. What's the U.S. national debt? Oh, I don't know. What's the U.S. Um, deficit? Well, I don't know. Uh, what's the biggest items in the U.S. Uh, deficit budget? Or what's the biggest items in the U.S. budget? Well, I don't know. It's like, well, why the fuck should I listen to you? You don't know anything. Like, why, why, should, why could you, how could you be so stupid as to think that anybody should listen to you about a subject you know nothing about? And even if they do know these numbers, say, okay, how are you going to pay? How are you going to pay for these unfunded liabilities? Uh, <laughs> magic, right? I mean, you can't. These unfunded liabilities cannot be paid for. So don't give me this, there's a future with no suffering bullshit. There's no future without suffering. The hole has been dug so deep, there is going to be no future wherein no sacrifice is going to be required. And you know what? This sacrifice will make us better. I wish it weren't true. I wish it wasn't going to happen. But by God, it's going to make us better. Because you know what? We are so fucking deluded as a culture in the West. We live in such mad, insane, deluded unreality. Fiddling while Rome burns. Arguing about how many migrants we can possibly take in when we can't afford any of the promises we've made to our citizens. You mistake me, Stefan. I am looking forward to the day when we finally admit this can't go on forever. I'm looking forward to the day when I'm, it's schadenfreude. It's my own schadenfreude. I look forward to the day when everyone fucking realizes that this system, and they want to make it bigger, that it cannot get any bigger. It cannot get any worse. This hole cannot get any deeper. I mean, it's going to get deeper, but there's going to come a point when we just got, have, we have nowhere to throw the dirt anymore. And I want to see the looks on everyone's face who thought that they were going to have universal health care, who thought they're going to have old age pension retirement via transfer of wealth from the young to the old. These people are thieves. They've, they want to take from other people and give it to themselves or whatever emotional bullshit lacking consequential foresight that they have. I don't like these people. I really don't. And when they, sorry, good. No, go ahead. And when they finally realize that everything they thought they could do, that people would just put up with it forever, well, when they find out that it will not happen, when they've tried to uplift people from poverty, when they've tried to take care of everyone, 
and it fucks over everyone. I want to see what they have to say. I want to see what oh, they have they, to say you, to their children. They, they, they won't. They won't say. They won't say anything different than everything they've been saying already. They won't learn a thing. They won't. I mean, we have. We have in the West. You know, we can blame everyone we want. We can blame the government. We can blame the migrants. We can blame the unions. We can blame. But we we have just become a deeply immoral society. We've become a deeply vicious society. We've become a society that self-righteously pursues vampiric predation upon the young, that uses babies as collateral to feed our materialistic greed, that is happy to sell off the next generation of Chinese banksters in order to stuff ourselves with saturated fats in the here and now, who grow obese on drinking the blood of the unborn. We have become a deeply vampiric and deeply immoral society. And, and this is something people really, really need to understand. It's not fundamentally the government that has failed. It is not fundamentally socialism that has failed. It is not central planning that has failed. None of that has failed. We have failed. We have failed. The people have failed. And people like you and I have been speaking reason and, and truth to the, the ignorant and the powerful for, for decades. We have not failed because I have acquitted myself as honorably as I can conceivably have done so in this fight. I have taken the risks. I have pushed the envelope. I have challenged uh, people with challenging topics uh, for as long as the show has been running and taken the hits thereby, which is fine. That's part of the game. But we have become a deeply immoral society and we don't see it. And that is the fundamental problem of our immorality. We don't even have the decency to feel shitty about bending over the cribs and drinking the blood of the young. Like, people will self-righteously shake their fists at government and say, go tax those babies, go sell off those babies. You know, people are appalled at the possibility, even the vague insinuation that abortion mills are selling off baby parts. Christ, how about the national debt? We're selling off entire lives, we're selling off entire futures, lying to 17-year-olds and burying them in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, sometimes to indoctrinate them in shitty anti-market education, throw them out into the free market and watch them fail. Watch them never get a life started. We don't care about children being thrown into shitty government schools and being taught by blind, low-rent ideologues. We don't care about all the crap they put in the food. We don't care about, oh, let's just appease the kids with sugar and let's buy everything in the supermarket which has sugar, which is basically everything in a box these days. We don't care. We don't, oh, the children are problematic. Let's drug them with drugs that shrink up to 10% of their fucking brain mass. Rather than change the system, we don't care. We don't care. We don't care about the young. We don't care about the future. We care about stuffing our fat fucking faces with taxpayer money robbed from the unborn. That's all we care about these days. And buying five more minutes of peace so we don't have to be troubled as we continue to stuff our aforementioned fat fucking faces. We don't care about what's noble, about what's good, about what's right. And the very concept of sacrifice seems to have been irradiated out of the Western soul. Maybe it was the grand exodus of K-selected bodies in World War II. I don't know. But the idea of sacrifice... The idea of living within your means, the idea of honesty, the idea of having a conscience. When have you ever heard any of the boomers say, Sorry, kids, we completely fucked it up for you. 
We got greedy, our greed ran away with us, and we fogged out of reality and pretended we didn't have the basic numerical skills that come with counting your fingers and your toes. We borrowed, we mortgaged, we got you viciously into debt, and there's nothing to show for it other than a vastly bigger government that's going to choke off your economic opportunities. We had freedom, we had low taxes, and we used all of that freedom and low taxes to beg money from the government, beg free stuff from the government. The government went into debt, and now we don't even hand you a tenth of the freedoms we were handed. We hand you nothing because we hand you a gargantuan government, massive unfunded liabilities, massive debt, massive dem uh, deficits, demographic replacement. Oh, and now we need even more than ever because now we're not even going to pretend to pay taxes. Now we just want free health care and our old age pensions. Fuck you very much. Yeah, I believe Ayn Rand called that unfreedom, where you've essentially thrown away freedom for security. And when you throw away freedom for security, you deserve neither and lose both, especially when it comes to government, especially when it comes to an institution where we can't, they can't even handle a pension plan, and these people want them to handle health care? They can't even handle building steps down the side of a park as they talked about earlier in their show. So we have just become a deeply cold, selfish, materialistic, greedy, conscienceless bunch of vampires all maneuvering to feed off the state at the expense of the future. Yes. And when you stray far enough from reality, nature wipes you out. I mean, nature doesn't care. You know, if you think that that approaching train is your friend and you should run up and give it a hug, nature doesn't care about your delusions. I believe that's a Darwin Award. Well, maybe entire cultures can get Darwin Awards. So this is, I mean, this is the fundamental, the deficiency is, is in morality. The deficiency is, is in ethics. The deficiency is in empathy. Like instead of real empathy, for the, the children in our societies, we have this pretend empathy for the migrants of other countries. We, instead, of, instead of genuine compassion for our culture and our society, and, and, and instead of compassion for the millions of men, largely men, who died to deliver us our freedoms, instead of compassion for their sacrifice, we have sentimentality about mad schemes of diversity that won't ever work. And we'll do the exact opposite of working in the long run. In the long run. So this is the reality of where we are. We need a moral revolution. We need a moral revolution. And I have, I have my criticisms of Islam, but the idea that, that, well, we're just so much more moral and we're just so much better and we, we, just, we have it all down as far as reality and ethics go, I could very easily make a case the exact opposite direction. And so... Yeah, we better get our shit together and we better remember what it's like to have ethics and what it's like to have compassion and what it's like to have caring and what it's like to want to treasure all of the gifts that our ancestors died to hand us. Because um, right now, we are bleeding dry the bank. We are bleeding out the capital that sustained our civilization. And it's like our entire culture is like what the rich guy, the very rich guy for real was once asked when he went bankrupt. And someone asked him, how did you go bankrupt? And he said, funny, 
very slowly and then very quickly. And that's how we go bankrupt as well, morally, very slowly and then very quickly. So thanks everyone so much for calling in tonight. It's a great pleasure to chat with you all. Please don't forget freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out this show. Come on, you know there's nothing else like this out there. And we desperately need this out there more than ever. So please, freedomainradio.com slash donate. Thank you everyone so much for listening and for watching. Have a great night. I will talk to you soon.